0: Hello, and welcome to Medium Cool, a movie podcast. I'm your host, Austin Glidden, and today, as always, we are brought to you by The Film Yap. Go check out TheFilmYap.com for all things film, because, you know, they never shut up about movies over there. Now, you can also find us on social media. That's uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just search Medium Cool Pod. Facebook.com backslash Medium Cool Pod. You can search Medium Cool Pod on Instagram. We'll pop up. And at Medium Cool Pod on twitter you can also email us at mediumcoolpod at gmail.com and uh, you know maybe we'll use that feedback on the show who freaking knows the point is we're here for you also wherever you're listening to this whether it's spotify apple Podcasts, wherever you're getting this please subscribe or follow us Please, if you if you can, just you know, rate us and maybe leave a review if you can. This really helps us kind of get out to the public so that we can reach more people and you know just get some more feedback, make better shows, and so on. I think it'd be a really fun time. So please do that for us. Um, but I, I'm really eager to get to today's show because today we're doing our six through ten for our top ten favorite films of 2020. That's right. Our six through ten, we're doing half our lists. And today it is uh, going to be our kind of perpetual guest, Joe Shearer, one of the co-owners of the Film App, And we are also have a new guest. This new voice for the show is uh, the the uh, film guru at WFYI, which is an NPR affiliate. Uh, he's a, a radio host. He does a podcast for them as well called Film Sociology. His name is none other than... Matthew Sosie, sociology. Matthew Sosie, get it? It's kind of a pun. Anyways, the point is, check out uh, film sociology. You can find it on Apple Podcasts. You can find it on pretty much anywhere you can get podcasts. You can also find it on uh, you know NPR and, and and WFYI's website. I mean, you can find it anywhere, uh, but it's film S O C E Y ology, film sociology. Go check it out. It's really compact, really easy to listen to, high quality, the whole jam. And, and and Matthew is is such a great, great guy. But before we get to our top ten, you know, we had a few people call in, a few friends of the show call in uh, to give us their favorite film of 2020. And one of them is the father of none other than Jake Bottileary, who helped me do the Cassavetes marathons. And I just want to, you know, pass this over to JB. From the film, from F This Movie, not the film yet, from F This Movie.
1: And yeah, let's hear JB's pick. Hi, Austin. This is JB from F This Movie, sometimes known as the pulp of film. And my favorite film of 2020 was Pixar's new film, Soul. As I talked about on our podcast, um, it seems that uh, Pixar often raises the bar in not only uh, making tremendous films that are very entertaining, but also doing other things like, oh, I don't know. In Inside Out, they came up with a whole new vocabulary for children to talk about their feelings. And in Soul, they come up with a whole new way for us to imagine things that are sort of unimaginable and a whole other way for us to envision our life, which is a pretty lofty goal. Um, I found the film incredibly moving. I found the film incredibly funny. Um, It was the rare American film from last year where every 10 minutes, I had no idea where it was going to go next. I had no idea where the next twist and turn um, was going to be on the journey that the film takes us on. And that extends even to the final 10 minutes. I love the film. It entertained me in a year where it was very difficult to be entertained. And in the immortal words of Ernie Fossilius, the man who wrote and directed Hardware Wars and uh, Porkalypse Now, I laughed, I cried, I kissed 10 bucks. Goodbye. Talk to you soon, Austin.
0: Talk to you soon. Indeed, JB, I would love to have you on. We should talk about this some more sometime. But we're going to get on to our top 10 here in a moment. Uh, Just so you know, next week, we're going to be doing our one through five our top one through five for our top 10 favorite films of 2020. We're going to carry on with that. Uh we had so many technical difficulties by the way <laughs> going through this I think we actually had 6 hours worth of time to- like uh, uh, or 6 hours worth we put like 6 hours into this when all we have is like 2 hours and some change you know uh of of the show I mean we we put way too much time and effort into this so I hope you enjoy it but Uh, uh, next week is our one through five and then the following week Joe and I are going to be doing um, like an end of like a 2020 rap show where not like hip hop (laughs) can you imagine Joe rapping anyways uh, let alone me but um, no like a rap party basically where we we talk about a bunch of other movies that didn't make our top 10 or or, you know things like that but just like unexpected gems and disappointments and you know we're just going to talk about a lot of movies and I hope you enjoy it now we're going to get to our top 10 i promise here in just a few seconds but we had another voicemail i wanted to share and i wanted to make sure a friend of the show sam Watermeyer from the midwest film journal had a chance to give his favorite film of the year and uh we might talk about it some more on one of the other people's lists let's hear what sam chose
1: hey austin and joe this is uh, sam the movie man Watermeyer here just uh, calling in to give you my pick for uh, the best movie of 2020, which um, I thought was the Danish film Another Round, with the premise of four high school teachers experimenting with alcohol to boost their performance. It seems like a, a frat pack comedy with Vince Vaughn and, and Will Ferrell but unfortunately it, it transcends that and uh, really has this raw human effervescent spirit that really uh, took the edge off of 2020 for me. I highly recommend it and uh, look forward to your picks. All right take care guys.
0: So, all right, today, everybody, we are here. We're going to be talking about our top 10 favorite films of 2020. And, you know, uh, I'm sitting here with medium-cool regular Joe Shearer from the App. Everyone knows Joe. Great. And uh, we have a new voice, or at least new to us, WFYI's film guru, Matthew Soce. Uh Matthew, do me a favor and share with everyone who you are and where else they can hear you. <laughs>
2: oh, I want Joe to do that. No, screw that. Um- no, I'm uh, I'm Matthew Sosie. I've been with WFYI Radio for uh, 21 years. I've uh, I do the Blues House Party on Saturday nights, and uh, for the last gosh, it's been 12 years. Uh, I've been host of Film Sociology, which is which has gone from a live radio show to a recorded radio show to a podcast on uh, WFYI.org. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, I and now those shows can be as long or as short. There was there was something I I loved about being able to. You had to be live, or as I end the show with, always we do it live, right. um, and it had to be an hour. And now with with podcasting, it can be as long or as short. And you know, um, so anyway, it's nice to have that 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 freedom. Yeah.
0: yeah, yeah, and hey, we we know a thing or two about going long, all right, because uh, <laughs> we're really really good at talking about movies. Um, And we will see that today. Our goal, however, is to to remember, Joe. I'm mostly speaking to you because you and I are the bad ones about this. Because I have to say this real quick. Matthew, I listened to the film sociology episode of your top ten. So you've already disclosed that. But you didn't really talk much about the films. You got through that shit in like five minutes. And I am so – that blew my mind.
2: Well – Part of it, I mean, part of it is with with the current situation that we're in. Um, yeah, I I, I have nobody to bounce it off of. Oh. I mean, I, I and I need to get better at. I mean, obviously, and you'll get. Well, I'll get a little more in depth talking with you guys. Um, but I but I think we've all become kind of isolated, or at least I have in my case. And and I thought, well, if I can't have studio, if I can't have guests in studio. I'll, you know, I'll just, I'll just bang it out pretty quickly and, and be gone with it. Now I also, that's, that was also the show, I believe I did the Elvis Presley movie. You did, uh, yes. Chat. Yeah, with, with, uh, and that, in the old show, I had to, rec- we, that thing went for almost two hours. I had to cut that show in two, that discussion in two, so it could run two weeks back when it was a, a one hour program.
0: Wow, yeah. Um,
2: but yeah, I mean, I just, I, I just kind of rattled off, I, yeah, as you said, fairly quickly, and that's and not a criticism,
0: by the way. I'm, I'm impressed because we can't do that. So Joe and I, <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> our goal this time is we're not reviewing the movie, Joe. I'm telling you that more, reminding myself, we're not reviewing yeah. the movie. Joe and I are going to do a 2020 wrap show uh you know once we air our full top 10 and we will be able to kind of talk more at length and talk about other movies that were not in our top 10 that we get to go through so we got to remember that all right Mm -hmm. and we'll be good um but I'm really excited about this I've been looking forward to this for weeks um as the two of you by now know um I didn't get to see a lot of these movies as they came out I wasn't getting screeners like as stuff was uh was going so since a few days before Christmas. Until literally yesterday, or really this morning at like three in the morning, I stopped my cram, <laughs> oh and um, I watched uh, I watched not total, but I watched in that amount of time sixty movies, yeah. and I feel pretty good about that. It's yeah. you know I, I I was I was proud. Uh, I, I, I
3: should say you know uh, and we should point out Matt is also as I am a member of the Indiana Film Journalists Association, so we do get those copies you know those screeners of the movie so yeah we we, we know that pain right, annually of <laughs> And by the
2: way, we always we, we get a lot of screeners. we still say we don't get enough screeners uh, yeah yeah we still, still find everybody we don't get enough but yeah, I got I got a screener in the mail on Thursday yeah me too yeah Did, it was was it, was it a uh, documentary about a SNL alum
3: yes yes, yes I've yes, gotten to yeah. it yet
2: I was yeah. stunned I was because it's funny when when you asked me to be on Austin, I because I did not do a show the first week in January because I was long story long, I was on the board Wednesday through Saturday, the week of Christmas and the week of New Year's, and I just wanted to get home. Mm-hmm. And so I thought when I did it the second week, I thought I was the last critic on earth doing <laughs> this top ten because between the IFJA putting theirs out fairly early, and then you know at the end of the calendar years when the 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 wave of critic lists come out. So I really felt like I was really really behind. But then I've always been the kind you I do it at the end of the year, and I if there's any changes, I do an update in March, mm-hmm. right before um, the Academy Awards, because I always cite two thousand and five, the year that year at the end of the calendar year, my top film was *Brokeback Mountain*. And then about a month later, I was blown away by the Tommy Lee Jones film, The Three Burials of McKinnis Estrada, mm-hmm. and and I had to make and I, I made that I made that change uh, back in March. So anyway,
3: oh, wow. no, that's good, good Night and Good Luck was the movie that year. So you know, oh, yeah. yes. that's that's... okay, you were wrong about that. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Everybody by the way... betray me. i fed up with this war. <laughs> well, uh, well, well, let me get it in.
3: We're not here to talk about the past. So
2: <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Joe. So
3: <laughs> So that so I, okay. So two things now. Now I to make this long.
2: I've um, had a shit Detroit Sports Week, man. Come on. <laughs>
3: well, they're they're talking about your quarterback coming to to quarterbacks, uh, my team. So you know, and, and,
2: and I expect gifts. I really hmm. I think I should. There should be gifts sent at the door of WFYI. <laughs> um, whatever, if yeah. that happens.
3: So um, so, let, so let's before we get on this. Before we just fall down the hole. <laughs> We should let's just clarify. There's so there's two things I want to say. One is associated with the conversation we're currently having, one is not. Uh, one is that, um, Matt is a Detroit sports fan, and I am a St. Louis Cardinals fan. As well, nobody's watching, this is a, vi- a visual thing, but I'm wearing my St. Louis Cardinals hat right now. Of course, they played in the 2006 World Series, and the Cardinals won. Um, before we came on, I actually was, was goofing on him with my. My 2006 Cardinals World Championship hat. Um, we're not here to talk about the past, of course, was famously uttered by one Mark McGuire uh, to Congress when the steroid investigation was going on. So, um, so whenever I go on your show, you love to you love to say that to me. So we have to make sure that we speak those <laughs> So, so that's that. <laughs> this, well, and it's, it's
2: only, and and you know. Joe will also do the. Uh, he'll just throw out a random number, and that's how many times I've watched the room in the last month.
3: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yes, yeah, back to back. Yeah, it was like four thousand eight hundred and twenty-seven the last time I was on there. So I mean, you got to be up near ten thousand now.
2: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I see. And the,
3: uh, the second thing, again, uh, again, apologies to anybody who's listening because this is another visual thing on our cameras. I'm holding up now the IFJA Hoosier award that is in um, and I'm ready to, um, deliver to the uh, recipients, which this year is the, um, uh, yeah. Yeah. So the, the reporters from the Indianapolis star from the movie athlete, a, which I don't think I'm talking about, but we're just missing talking about that. Um, a uh, terrific documentary that's on Netflix. Yeah.
0: If if we don't uh, talk about it before, you and I will definitely be talking about it on the 2020 wrap up because that's something on my notes absolutely. for sure.
3: Absolutely. Yeah. So so that for you know our critics group is um the one thing we have a physical actual award for, an actual trophy for. And um every year so far since we started, um I've been able in one way or another to deliver it to the recipient. And that goes for um, Koganata, who uh, directed the movie Columbus a few years ago. Um, uh, Jason Keller, who directed, or who not directed, but he uh, wrote Ford v. Ferrari. um, Got, um, you know, he won and got that to him. And actually, there's a guy who actually works with me, who won somewhere in between, for um, a movie called Dead Man's Line. So um, I actually work with that guy now. Alan Alan Barry is his name. He's a really nice guy, uh, made a good movie. Um very worthy recipient. Um, so so yeah. So that, that's one of to me the most fun things is
2: getting that and giving it out. I also want it noted that Joe Shearer name dropped before me. <laughs> oh yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll do yeah.
0: <laughs> he does do it all the time, actually. That that's uh, true. <laughs> here. Yeah. Let me
2: let me pick up this name I just dropped. Um... Yeah.
3: Uh, yeah, well, yeah. We'll oh be talking about stuff, and I'll be like, hey, remember that time I was talking about Robert Downey Jr. when I saw him? And then, you know, and they're like, "No, nope. What we are you talking about? We're talking about horror movies right now.
2: We also fight over our girlfriend, Pam Greer. Oh, uh, yeah, we do that. Yeah.
0: <laughs> okay, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sensing... Big trouble having you two on the show. <laughs> this feels like a lot of trouble that I've gotten myself into. But I'm going. Yeah, I'm going. I'm, I'm going I'm to move forward into um, our lists if you guys are prepared. And and as yes. always, you know, Joe, although he's a guest, he doesn't feel as much like a guest as you do, Matthew. And I'm going to go ahead nah. and uh, and start with you. If you would give your number ten and go ahead and uh, introduce us to the movie that you chose.
2: Okay, my my number 10 film of 2020 is the drama The Assistant. This is the one that's uh, ri- uh, written and directed by Kitty Green, uh, starring Julia Gardner, and, and it's really, for the most part, the Julia Gardner show. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a little bit of Matthew McFadden as a Weinstein-esque um, media mogul... Not not a nice guy, and it's Garner's first day, or yeah, it's like a, a new job as an assistant for this mogul. It's almost like a Me Too version of Training Day, uh, <laughs> as, as I was watching this, and and yeah. and the the subtleties of this film of what she has to do for her boss and how it affects her. I mean, it's it's a gosh i remember I think it's like it's like an it's like 90 minutes of getting punched in the stomach and oh, yeah. it is it's anchored by and and i I'm gonna probably say this this was a strong year for female performances and uh and you know whatever the five wind up being at the academy awards, um, there's still going to be a lot of people saying so and so didn't get in, I, and Garner's in the team picture uh, this year with a really restrained performance, and uh, you know a show that you, you kind of want to take a shower after watching. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's that it's that it's that good. So it's you know not a date film, but but definitely <laughs> worth checking out.
0: I, I, I 100% uh, agree, and it's funny because uh, the assistant I had already planned and everything, knowing that yours. I was number ten because for our listeners, I don't, um, I don't know, I don't remember. Rather, I've seen both of your lists, but I don't remember them, and I've mm. kept it that way intentionally. But I knew you number ten up until uh, Friday. My number ten was also the assistant. And I was going to let you go with it, so that's actually mm. my number eleven. It ended up getting bumped out by something. Ooh, um, but it's, drama. Yeah, it's it's really great, and I just want to say one thing about the assistant that I had planned to uh, was I love that the first pretty much the first act all the way up until uh, for those who have seen it they'll know what I'm talking about the where she goes to HR right yeah uh, everything up to that feels like this kind of painstaking day by day like work sim you know what I mean where like you're just kind yeah. of working doing everyday life things she goes to HR after that it goes back essentially to work sim but it changes the entire mood of that mm-hmm. and gives that everyday work so much more meaning Uh, and that's actually I think what impressed me the most is what they were able to do with such subtlety and such quietness and stillness um, and and honestly not a ton of dialogue I mean it's no and,
2: and I think also what her connections with others after the fact yes because this this you know this thing is over her her head or shoulders and and to a certain degree she got some of it lifted but her her vision has changed yeah. forever because
0: of that absolutely yeah. and i want to yeah. say one thing and then i want to pass it over to joe see what he has to say about the assistant but mm-hmm. um you mentioned the thing about uh, female leads and and how many awesome performances also i just want to throw out kind of unrelated to the assistant but you made me think of it Awesome year for female filmmakers as well. Yeah, I mean, I I, I had 119 movies. I could have added more, but 119 on my list to see, okay? I didn't get through them all, but um, I tallied 31 were by women. 25%, which is more than most years that I'm used to. But I'll say this, and one could argue, you know, we need more, and I'm fine with that. But here's another thing, though. Most of the movies that I loved were also by women. So I feel like they're also getting this, like, spotlight for doing really really great work um but another thing back to the assistant is um that quietness i've noticed this year also that a lot of movies were very quiet and very still and not a ton of loud music and not a lot of loud fighting we'll get to a few more at least on my list i'm sure you guys will Mm -hmm. share some of them but anyways uh going back to the assistant joe uh any thoughts on the assistant
3: yeah yeah i you know the 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 bad thing about this is that about this movie is that it came out so early in the year and it, it kind of slipped past a lot of people, you know, it, it, you know, as, especially for us, you know, there's a lot of times when uh, late in the year movies come in that, that are the big splashy ones, the big splashy contender movies and, and uh, these kind of fade in our memory. So it's really good to me that, that this, you know, got that kind of attention because yeah, it, it is just, it's a really just a tense movie. Like, you you know, it's it's funny to call a movie tense and quiet at the same time, but it really is. You're just really very uncomfortable and you're, you're watching. And again, it's all told mostly through the point of view of, of uh, Julia Garner's character. And you don't you don't you hardly even see anyone else. I, I think there are maybe two or three other actors that are even visible in the film. And then there's the disembodied voice of her boss. And really, I mean, that's really about it. So it's it's just kind of remarkable. It, it, it kind of, in a sense, um, is reminiscent than of Locke from a few years back with, oh, yeah. with uh, Tom Hardy, yeah. where, you know, it's it's him in a car with a, a couple of voices. Um, and, and there's even a scene where she's in the car. Right. So um, it's you know, it's, it's really terrific movie. It's not on my top 10, but it's, it, uh, it fell somewhere just outside, I think.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And and I want to say this, almost every scene, Julia Garner looks like she's about to cry. And at first it's because of the job and the overworking. And then afterwards it's because of what's, we'll just say what's happening. And right. It's because of the job. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 A little more indirectly, but yes, 100%. And uh, I think Kitty Green, the director, uh, again, a female uh, filmmaker that put out just one of the year's best. Um, mm-hmm. And it's really excellent. That's an awesome choice, Matthew. Anything else you want to add before we move on?
2: Well, it's funny. You were mentioning that I, uh, once I made the list, the first question out of my daughter, also known as the former kids film correspondent of film sociology. <laughs> and so, but she, she asked me how many female directors are on your list in the top ten. And this year it's six.
0: Nice.
2: Now, I mean, I got the list and then I looked up who did what. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, I, I piggyback with you uh, as far as great year for female leads, great year for female filmmakers and and hopefully more and more along the way. Yeah, yeah.
3: I, I was. I hadn't considered, sorry to interrupt you, but I hadn't considered that even thought about myself, but I just went through quickly five of mine are by bi- female filmmakers as well so yeah
0: yeah i Very had cool. five when i had the assistant now i'm down to four unfortunately but anyways <laughs> uh i'm the odd man out uh joe why don't you go ahead and give us your top 10 we're going to go ahead and uh move on to that so go ahead and uh absolutely let us know. yeah yeah
3: so my my number 10 is is a bizarre quirky little movie that um i almost didn't even watch and um i don't know it was uh, you know in, in this life in our life sometimes there's you know there's this fight that you have inside yourself and you're like, do I want to get up and and actually hook up my Blu-ray player or, you know, this one link is giving me trouble. Do I want to just switch to something else? And I kind of had one of those moments where um, I had watched a lot and I was going through and I was like, what am I going to watch? And I guess I'll put this one on. And I'm so happy I did because I ended up, um, you know, pushing this out to a few other people. And I think, I think because of that, it ended up maybe getting a little bit of traction in our group and that's um, a movie called The 20th Century. Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it's directed by Matthew Rankin and it stars Dan Byrne, Sarianne Cormier, Catherine St. Laurent. It is a uh, very, very bizarre movie about political intrigue <laughs> in Canada. and
2: it's so Canadian.
3: It is. It's so It's, 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 it's Sometimes it's, it's just, it's so funny that Sometimes it's just so dry and slapsticky, uh, and sometimes it is just they just do goofy things that you just don't expect to happen. Um, it it all centers around um, the the lead, who's Mackenzie King, who is of noble blood to some extent, I guess, but he wants to become the the leader of Canada, and he has to go through all of these insane. It almost reminded me of uh, Billy Madison in uh, at the end of Billy Madison when they're, they're doing the uh, and they're doing these just ridiculous things right and they're just doing these just completely off the-wall contests and you know it and, and then there's this love triangle he dreams of marrying uh, this this woman who doesn't give him the time of day because she's marrying the guy who's kind of the front runner. just a lot of uh, just goofy political machinations that just are insane at one point he's like making out with a boot there's just so much
1: Not There's just, so
3: much just dumb so i haven't even gotten to like i can't even remember all of the the insane stuff that happens in this movie it's just it's so quirky it's so off the wall and, and it's completely different than anything else i've seen this year so um drop that in right at number 10 so um I, and, and by the by the way you guys reacted when i said that um, I guess you guys have a few things to say
0: about it as well. Yeah, I, I'll just say this. Um, I'm so happy that this is on your list. This is uh, this is my number 13, unfortunately. Um, uh-huh. But uh, I'm going to let Matthew take over here. But I'm going to say this. As soon as you mentioned this movie, uh, Matthew started whistling, if you can't hear that. And I started <laughs> just like throwing my hands in the air, which yeah. is hilarious that care. it's not on my top 10, but that like I still love it so much that I'm mm-hmm. that excited. But Matthew, uh yeah, what are your feelings about the 20th century?
2: Um is it is it protocol for me to mention that this is on my list?
0: Hey, if it's <laughs> if, if you're going to talk about it uh later, yeah. then we can just uh, skip your feelings if you want right now and we'll come All back right. to them. Yeah, uh, yeah.
2: This yeah, we'll this, this film this film was number 6 on my list. Okay. Uh, All right. It is it's and I and we should note. I believe this is the this was this year's recipient of the original Vision Award to the wow. Indiana Journalists Association, and yeah, I'm I'm kind of like Joe on this that I um, I was really hoping other people would watch this mm-hmm. weird kind of far. It's like a melodrama, German expressionism. I think there's prop. It has a propaganda feel yes. film feel to it yeah. and really old you know like that we make fun of the early half of the 20th century as far as acting and acting styles and and the stiffness and the weirdness and this this has all of that all of that and and very canadian you know i, I kept waiting for terrence and philip to just jump in because <laughs> they because why not yeah, um, yeah. It, yeah, it's it's just a wonderfully goofy film, and 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 kudos to Joe Shearer to tie the 20th century and Billy Madison together. <laughs> if if happy, yeah, if happy Madison Productions went up to Winnipeg, that, uh, <laughs> yeah, I I this is what I really yeah this. Have some cocktails and some and some Molsons and just sit back and enjoy this. This this was a funny, weird ass film, and I enjoyed mm-hmm. it dearly. That,
0: that's the best way to put it. The the, the only reason it's not on my list because I thought a lot about just forcing it into ten, like not uh-huh. even caring like if I but like other things. There. Yeah, just because just because I like I I lo- I have such a great time watching it. And what you said is like that's how you do mm-hmm. it, man. You just sit back and you enjoy this because like in any kind of story or plot that is involved in this is getting buried by its craft and its craft yeah. is the best part mm-hmm. of this I think and and uh, you know whenever I, I was te- I was watching it and I don't usually like text while I'm watching movies that I'm like taking in but I text one of my buddies and I was like I'm watching this movie called the 20th century and I feel like I'm watching a movie that if Guy Madden um Uh, David Lynch and Wes Anderson, like fucked, this would be their baby. You know what I mean? Like, it's just the most bizarre. Uh, yeah. like at one point they're just like beating these like fake baby seals with a bat. And yes. like, there's a point where he's talking to his dad and they just have this like puppet bird. Like it's very clearly like this very obviously fake bird, but I love uh-huh. it. Like, and these are like yeah. the least weird things. Like this isn't even close to the weirdest stuff. No. It, yeah. It's just a there's bizarre also, experience. That's all I was going to say. There's also
2: some colorblind casting and some cross gender yeah. performing characters. Yeah. I mean, it's, just, you know, it's, it's almost like, what are they going to do next? And that's, I think that's a rarity because most of the time is, is, you know, the number of films we watch, you got a pretty good idea how it's going to end. We, Mm -hmm. you can figure out how it's going to end. The question is, do you enjoy the ride along the way? In the case of the 20th century, you're like, what, what the hell else is going to happen? And that's that's a great feeling to have.
3: Yeah. 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 I, Uh, I will say, I will say that, um, so, um, uh, Sam Watermeyer, one of our colleagues and I sorry if we were talking too much about the IFGA but um he's he's friends with all of us and to one degree or another and um he had been bugging me because he nominated Mark Marin who he's a huge fan of from uh, Stardust and he for our awards and he and he's wanting to push it a little bit so he's like come on Joe go vote for him go put your name on him and uh, I said I'll do it if you watch the 20th century <laughs> and he did <laughs> finally <laughs> and, and then they, and then he went berserk and was like telling everybody about it and I was like, I told you you just, you gotta watch this movie.
0: And so I, I can't so str- yeah, so, I can't stress enough. I, I'm gonna put over the craft of this movie is honestly yeah. um, I mean it's it's very in on the joke, but it's yeah. also like it's really pulling like Matthew kind of hinted at. it's really pulling from a lot of what made these early movies um it's kind of taking them and almost putting them almost out of context and you're seeing how ridiculous it is but the the film itself is so ridiculous that it just works and um yeah i i absolutely adore this movie and i i hope after we're finished with this list after people hear the whole thing this is one that they just really kind of seek out um and i know that i i think i watched it i think i rented it on uh, amazon prime or something it was like 3.99 Just get it. Like I don't think it's streaming anywhere, but just yeah, just get it. Um, If there if there are no other kind of thoughts, actually, I'm just gonna make no more thoughts because we'll come back to it for your number six if we have anything else to add, uh, Matthew. But um, I'm gonna go to my number ten, which is a movie that I saw um, probably on this list. It was the first one I saw like months ago. It was one of the very few films I'd seen from 2020 uh, prior to doing my like end of the year cram. And uh, that is uh, Charlie Kaufman's I'm Thinking of Ending Things, uh, starring Jesse Plemons, Jesse Buckley, Tony Collette, and David Thewlis. Um, I have no idea where you guys are with this movie, but the film follows the young woman. Her name is Lucy, maybe Louisa, Lucia, who knows? (laughs) Um, On the surface, uh, nothing is as it seems as the young woman experiencing misgivings about her new boyfriend joins him on a road trip to meet his parents. Um, at their remote farm. And under the surface, it's really a story about a lonely, depressed janitor contemplating suicide. Ooh, very, very wild movie. Um, I want to say this real quick. First off, um, it's a Charlie Kaufman movie, okay? This is the guy who wrote (laughs) Bing John Malkovich adaptation, Eternal Sunshine the Spotless Mind, and more. He also directed Synecdoche, New York. It's going to be entirely cerebral, okay? (laughs) Like, almost exclusively cerebral, but... You know, the thing that I remember watching it and I just literally looked at my wife because we watched on my laptop when we were on a trip and I was just like, what the fuck did I just watch? Like, you know, like it was <laughs> I, I knew there was something there, like I knew there was something there, but I had to like process it. and I love it when a movie leaves me with something that I'm like processing, you know, and this I mean, this does it in spades. So, you know, uh it. I'm following, I'm like working through it. I'm like reading about it. I'm seeing what other people are saying. But one thing that just kept coming back to me as the movie ended is when, before I saw it, I'm thinking of ending things sounded like suicide to me. And then as you're watching it, the the woman starts talking about ending things with her partner. And I'm like, oh, that's what they're talking about. Only to come all the way back around where at the end of the movie, I'm like, no, this is actually about someone contemplating suicide. <laughs> Um, and, And I love that it's this movie somehow can get into the deeper aspects of what that means, rather than just saying this person's really sad. Let's watch them be really sad and then blatantly deal with the issue. This is literally taking you into their brain. What are they thinking about? All the abstract thoughts you have, the musical sequences, the yep. you know the beautiful mind ripoff of the like a literal monologue stolen from that movie on purpose. And the thing that if if anyone, I mean, most people listening to this know that Stanley Kubrick's my favorite filmmaker of all time, and he's a guy that whenever you watch his movies, there's nothing out of place. He puts things in there meticulously, and it's on purpose. Kaufman is another guy that there's never anything in his movies that is just weird for the sake of being weird. He might choose that way because it's weird, but there's always a purpose for those things. And uh, so after I watched it, knowing that about him, I'm just like, there has to be more to this. And I ended up just kind of opening Pandora's box with this one. And it's it it by far is the movie that made me think the most this year. And, uh, and that really made me honestly... Kind of go to dark places, and I mean that in in a in a as a compliment, like not that it made me sad, but more of like really contemplating things that most movies about this subject matter don't make me. Um, I just I just really love a good weird movie like this, and it's weird in a different way than the 20th century. They could not be more different, <laughs> you know. Right. Um, but I don't know what what did you guys think, uh, Matthew? You can go first if you had any thoughts.
2: Well, this yeah, this one um, it didn't make my list. Um, and I, I, I wonder if Mr. Kaufman just with each project he works on goes, I think tries to push himself and go further and further. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those, and there's another filmmaker who kind of does that and I'll see if he is brought up. If not, I'll bring it up later, but, um, -hmm. that's kind of in the opposite direction of that. Um, I, I like the film, even though I didn't. I didn't quite get it, like you said. I mean, initially as I watched it, I'm like, oh, okay, uh, what did I what did I just watch? I liked the performances. You have a really strong uh, quartet of actors, and uh, but no, I I, I don't I, I don't think I liked it as much as as you did, but I could appreciate it. So sure. I, You know, I guess guess that's where I'm at on
0: that. I I know that this movie, before I get to you, Joe, this movie really, like, I know that my friends, at least on social media, as this movie came out, people, because it was was keyed in as like a thriller, which is like hysterical for people going into this (laughs) expecting that. Um, Mm -hmm. And so people were like talking about it being like a horror thriller, which I'm like, where'd you even get that? And they're like watching this thing. And I just, afterwards they're like, basically just this movie shit like they hated it and i hadn't seen it yet so i went into it like completely not knowing what to expect and this is a movie that if and I, this isn't a comment on you matthew this is more a comment on my friends if you're not willing to do the work i don't understand why anyone would like right. this movie <laughs> like
2: yeah, yeah. to be honest no, like right. I mean, it's kind of like it's funny it's like this year's babadook as far as like who, yeah who who put it in this category who, yeah. we go what
0: mistake was that yeah yeah it's yeah. It's, it's, it's very bizarre joe wh- what do you think yeah yeah,
3: I I enjoyed it. Um, it was um, I might be able to scroll. It was sixteen for me, um, but and and I did and I did um, put these every single film I saw this year. Yes, you in, did in an order. So sixteen, you know, it was it was high for much of the year. Um, it was higher, much higher than that. But um, yeah, the the thing that sticks out the most to me, and you know, and you touched on all of the kind of the larger you know meanings behind the film, but um, the Performances from Tony Collette and David Thewlis as as um, Jesse Plemons' characters' parents were insane, and they absolutely they were. I mean, you know, those are two good actors, better than I've seen from them in a long time. Um, they were just. I mean, it's just if if you hate the rest of the movie, it's worth sitting through the movie just to see the two of them, the the middle segment that they're in. Um, And just seeing the way that they react and how just how bizarre and off the wall um, it is just to just to watch them and experience what they do in this film.
0: Yeah. And and also just real quick, and I'll get to you, uh, Matthew. It's it's also interesting because much like he did in Synecdoche, he plays with time a lot. So, you know, like what makes their performance so amazing to me, Tony Collette and uh, David Doulis, is they are playing young parents and at the end of their lives, elderly parents, and everywhere in between, yes. which is a complete mind fuck. But Matthew, what were you going to say?
2: Well, I would say since since we brought up that for a while, it looks like it's about it's a breakup. It's a breakup film. Do we pair this with Midsummer? which is another <laughs> film about dumping your boyfriend.
3: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I a double feature.
2: <laughs> yeah. By the yeah. way, I don't, friends, I don't recommend doing that double bill. I really don't. <laughs> yeah.
3: yeah. You you better have something on standby. You better have
2: yeah. your, your and, ultimate. And it doesn't matter. You. It doesn't matter which which comes first or last. It's, it's a, that's a bad combo. Don't do that. Yeah. yeah. yeah the, don't the, do the, it.
0: the triple feature of 2020 is, is I'm thinking of ending things. Um, and then midsummer, which is not 2020, but still. And then just mm-hmm. at the end as a palate cleanser, just watch the 20th Century, and you'll probably be fine. Uh-
3: <laughs> I mean, yeah, or you, might, or you might be completely insane by the time you're done.
2: There was, um, I'm going to go off on a side tangent. Joe was here for this, but there there was a stretch where we would get back-to-back screenings, press screenings, yes. and this was during award season, and the two I always remember, and these happened in a manner, I think, I think they were like, either a day apart or just two days in a row. But one day we saw um, up in the air and then the Lovely Bones. Or no, the Lovely Bones and then up in the air, that's right. It was yeah. because, And then the next day it was a simple man and nine. Thank God they <laughs> put those first, right? Could you imagine two films and one year I think it was uh it was the fighter and true grip but I mean to to end your your double screening of a dead girl and you know gay man wanting to kill himself that's just that's a
0: rough that's a rough oh my gosh that's crazy yeah I, I um I personally can't uh Can't encourage people who are willing to, like, think about this movie. I'll I'll, I'll qualify it that way. Uh, To check out I'm Thinking of Any Things, if you have, and if you're a fan of Synecdoche, New York, uh, I don't think this will be any more or less challenging. I mean, this is a Charlie Kaufman movie, concentrated through and through. Uh, It is available. You can watch it exclusively on Netflix, so definitely go check that out. But we're going to move on to number nine. Matthew, you go. What's your number nine?
2: my number nine film of 2020 is the crime drama "I'm Your Woman," uh, writ, co-written and directed by Julia Hart, uh, a, another female filmmaker, and another. Fi- I think a fine performance from Rachel uh, Brosnahan, also known as the marvelous Mrs. Maisel, and it's she is uh, she's the wife of a of a man who we, in the 70s that we find out is has some criminal. He has. He, he's a, a, a career criminal. And he's just done his boss wrong, but at least he gave her a baby before running off. And, you know, <laughs> right? it's like, if you took, if you, it was like John Cassavetes Gloria meets baby boom. And, and now she's <laughs> on the run with a child and a guy she doesn't even know, who's kind of the cleaner Winston Wolfish ish type character. Um, and, and, and then they go and, and it's, and they're on the run. So it's, a puzzle, it's a crime puzzle as to what's ha- what's happening, where are they gonna go next? Is she gonna see her husband? How is she, and then a little bit, fortunately it doesn't fall on the, oh, parenting sucks um, mm-hmm. aspect of raising a child in this case. And, and uh, so on top of everything else that she's on the run with, also taking care of this kid. And that's uh, another film that uh, its lead anchors it. Uh, Rachel does a lot of the heavy lifting on this, and mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm really hoping... Uh, I'm, I'm hoping more people will check this out, and and it also made me crave for uh, Mrs. Maisel to return. But uh, this mm-hmm. this was just a good old-fashioned 70s crime drama, and I, I enjoyed it uh, very much.
0: That makes me... I, so this is on my list, I and it's on my list because you mentioned it on your top 10. I, I did not get around to seeing this and you saying a seventies crime drama. That's my jam, right? So I cannot yes. wait to see it. Joe, you saw it though.
3: Yeah. Yeah. I, I have it a little further down my list, but the, yeah, I, yeah, I can't fault you for putting it in there. Um, it is, it is, it's fun and a lot of stretches It for me, it was a movie I watched and I was like, what the hell is going on? And yeah, and as things kind of unfold and you just find out this these things that you know she didn't know or that you know she maybe knew about but let herself you know ignore for a while, it it just it gets you know it just turns into one of those things where it's kind of slowly like stripping away who she is, right? She has to become she can't just be, you know, meek, lowly housewife. She has to be a strong person. And and you know, there's so there's some good Um, I, you know, I don't know. There's, there's some metaphor in there. There's some, you know, some good stand-ins for, you know, the, the life of a woman, right. In general, where you're not relying on someone and you're, you know, you're taking charge of things yourself. Um, and yeah, it, it is a, just, it's just an enjoyable movie. Yeah. I I can't, yeah. I I can't say much more about it than that.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm sold. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. uh, i mean you guys had screeners I'll, I'll have to find out where i can check this out uh
2: it's on it's on prime video and uh yeah it's it's just a it's a it's a just really really well done genre picture and sometimes if, if you can do that and do it well um you, you get you get a lot of points for with with me so oh,
0: dude yeah. i'm 100 percent on your bus uh all right Yeah, uh, number nine for Matthew, I'm Your Woman. That is uh, awesome. Uh, Joe, why don't you give us your number nine, man?
3: Number nine for me, um, also directed by a woman. um, But this is one that, boy, for us, got stuck into our cues at the 11th hour. Um, And, I mean, I think it was literally just a day or two before the voting was able to start. um, Regina King's One Night in Miami, which um, is a... Just, man, it is just—it's just, it's just a, a fun, smooth film to watch. It is um, so. It's the the central premise is a meeting between Malcolm X, a pre Muhammad Ali, a very a just pre you know pre Muhammad Ali Cassius Clay, um, Jim Brown, and Sam Cooke, who um, are all meeting. Um, to basically just to like hang out and have a good time. So, um, you know, Cassius Clay has been hanging out with Malcolm X and is on the verge of, of, um, joining the nation of Islam and becoming Muhammad Ali. And in the meantime, you know, Jim Brown and Sam Cooke are, are looking at him like, what are you doing? You know? Um, but at the same time, they're all friends with Malcolm X and Malcolm X is the, you know, he's the, uh, you know, if, if you want to call that, I guess it's religious, it's a religion, but, um, you know, it's it's obviously filtered in this case through the context of civil rights and in the fight for civil rights in the '60s, but um, but they have these just fun and at times it gets serious. You know, kind of they're they're they take turns poking fun at each other and you know just giving each other shit, and then it turns into them le- legitimately having arguments about things back and forth about their roles, about who they are, about where they fit into society, about how important they are to society. And, and of course all around them are you know the the white people who don't care about them or who want to take advantage of them or who you know who just look at them as as random celebrities right so um, there's for a movie that's set mostly in a hotel room or a motel room um, it there's a lot going on and there there's a lot of interplay between them um, the, the the factions they, they kind of break into little warring factions between the the four of them, but then those factions change and shift and at differing points. So it, it really does feel like four buddies hanging out and talking, except that, you know, the things they're talking about are our pivotal moments in, in 20th century politics and, and 20th century life. So, um, it just is a terrific movie. Um, great performances. Uh, Kingsley Benadir plays Malcolm X, Eli Gorey plays Cassius Clay, um, Aldous Hodge is Jim Brown. And then Leslie Odom Jr. is Sam Cooke. Um, and they, you know, these are people who, you know, you might not recognize their names, but as you're watching them, I'm pretty sure you'll at least be vaguely familiar with their faces. So um, it's it's very man. It's it's a good movie. It's it's definitely worth seeing.
2: Matthew, your thoughts? Oh, friends, we all have this list. It's the film that's it's the screener that you just didn't get to, and this is the biggest title of the films that I have not seen. So I know what I'm doing tonight or tomorrow. I feel really awful because I, I love Regina King and I like the concept. I'm I'm guessing Joe, there's no references to uh slaughter's big rip off or 100 <laughs> rifles. No, he, he does talk about some movies. Of the, yeah. Jim Brown does talk about
3: how he wants to retire and become a movie star. And um, sure. Yeah, enough. So, so, yeah, so that's part of it, but they, yeah, they don't get too deep into it, but yeah, there's uh, there's some of that <laughs> for sure. But, but yeah.
2: no, that's uh, I, I I would love to hear what your guys's uh, big film that you missed because I'm the first one to step in it. So yeah. da. Well,
3: and like I said, this we literally got this. I think on Thursday or Friday, the group meeting was that Saturday, and I just it, it just happened to be that I've just seen so many, you know, through the course of the year that. I had a hole and I was like, oh, yeah, people are talking really strongly about this. So
2: um,
3: I'll I'll go ahead and pop it in. And yeah, and I'm not sorry that I did. I mean, uh, you know, and and I say Regina King, you know, this is Regina King from, you know, Boys in the Hood, from Jerry Maguire. Academy Award winner
2: Regina King. Yes,
3: Academy Award winner Regina King um, directing her first film. And I'm sure she'll do more after this because this is, you know, this is just a little stick of dynamite for sure.
0: Yeah, nice. yeah, and and Regina King also for for people looking watching HBO, uh Watchmen and The Leftovers, she was uh, a yes. key role in both of those and uh when I found out it was her, I kind of freaked out a bit cuz I I found out who that was cuz I didn't know her by name uh after I had watched the movie. I was like, "What? Like I can't yeah. believe that uh she created this and and though the movie didn't quite have as deep an impact on me as it did, uh, for you, maybe, Joe, I uh, it is 100% a fun movie to watch, um, and 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 I think it's a very competently made movie, and and I'm really excited, if it does no other thing for me, I'm very excited to see what Regina King does next, because there is so much promise that she could be a, kind of a force to be reckoned with, uh, with the kind of story she tackles, because this really feels like canned theater. I don't know if this was a play. I don't think it was, but... Um, maybe it was I don't know but it feels almost like canned theater it's that very small room uh, you know uh, digging in but uh, the way like you said they kind of uh, go into their factions of two right Mm -hmm. and and uh, but every single character gets to talk to every single character you know what I mean right Uh, so um, yeah anyways uh, yeah I I, I love this movie and uh, it was it was good did not make my top 10 um, I only went to my top 15 so it wasn't on there I don't know where it would be now I, I feel like following uh, Joe's uh you know thing and, and doing the whole uh everything I watched but um um yeah so uh One Night in Miami it's a good number nine my number nine is uh one that I'm curious what you guys will think of I don't think Joe was a huge fan of this one I'm not sure So I'm just calling you straight up out and Mm -hmm. we'll see if we can talk about this. My number nine is Andrew Patterson's The Vast of Night, uh, Mm -hmm. a uh, film that basically focuses um, on the time in the 50s during, you know, the space race at the dawn of the space race. You know, a a teenage radio host named Everett, which is played by uh, Jake Horowitz and the teenage switchboard operator Faye, played by Sierra McCormick. Discover a strange frequency over the airwaves in uh, what becomes, for the most part, a night of their lives that uh, uh, basically will will uh, be remembered throughout their history. I guess um, mm. that's a way to keep it very vague. Uh, this uh, deals—it's not—it's no secret that this deals with uh, like aliens, uh, mm. but. Not in the sense that one might think. The reason I love this movie is whenever it first started and you have the two leads kind of walking through the gymnasium and doing this kind of quick talk or whatever, I wasn't even hugely on board yet. Like, this wasn't the thing that captured me. Honestly, um, at the beginning, Horowitz, uh, who plays Everett, was seemed to be mumbling because he always had like a cigarette in his mouth. And luckily I watch most movies with subtitles just in case. So like I'm catching the dialogue, but I can't, I can't speak to people who didn't do that. And, and it wasn't until Faye goes to the switchboard room and Everett goes to the radio station that I started to really be captivated, probably more so than any other movie this year in terms of storytelling, (laughs) captivating me. And this film is is pure storytelling. That's really the only <laughs> Matthew's face. I can't even look at you while I talk about this. Okay, uh,
2: no, 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 you're you're fine. Yeah, I'm go go, I'm gonna
0: keep going, and then I'm gonna go to you. So, uh, so there there for me, I'm a huge fan of dialogue. Okay, and storytelling. Huh. This is like a, a huge a huge part of something that will usually you know uh, kind of stick out to me. And for me, there aren't enough movies that focus exclusively on storytelling. You had you have movies, I'm only going to name a few, but like Louis Miles' My Dinner with Andre, which is literally two people sitting at a table talking for 90 minutes. I find that film fascinating. The HBO film, The Sunset Limited, where you have Tommy Lee Jones and uh, Samuel L. Jackson basically you know, uh, warring one another with their opposing philosophies on life. And then in large part, but not Holy, you have Mike Lee's Naked, which also has David Thewlis, who we already talked about. Um, There are, of course, many more, but I love films like this, films where people can talk and still captivate me through their stories. And um, I, I, I don't have a ton more to say about The Vast of Night other than the way that they tell the story in pieces through callers calling into the radio station or going to meet people to, uh, to kind of build out this kind of uh, strange old-fashioned alien story um, I found captivating. It takes place in the 50s. Um, the very, very opening of the film is kind of a, an homage to the Twilight Zone where basically what we're watching is a, an episode of Paradox Theater. And uh, it's basically supposed to be this, uh, it's like we're watching an episode of something that would be like the Twilight Zone, which is not really accurate when you watch the movie, but I get, I get what they're going for. Um, And then, you know, honestly, most of the movie is, it's like more interested in what it's not showing you. And it focuses visually on the reactions and expressions of those considering these unseen things. Um, So a lot of it literally is watching someone listen to someone call in or, uh, you know, uh, just people's reactions to these strange, kind of subtle and strange events. Uh, There are a few visually kind of wowing moments that people have called out. They aren't necessarily... Well, that's a bad way to say it. I would, I could see the argument of them not really being necessary. <laughs> uh, like these really long, sweeping, impressive long takes. But what it does do is it makes me excited to see what Patterson can do next because Patterson shows that, yes, I can do something visual, um, but storytelling is my game. And I'm always up for a storytelling Movie. I am. I feel like I'm about to get uh, the 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 blunt end of uh, of an ass kicking right now. Uh, But Matthew, uh,
2: quite 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 the contrary, because I have not seen this one either.
0: God, Matthew. Really,
2: I'm really sucking as a guest right now. Titles in a row that you've hit me with, uh, and so I'm I'm just I'm just stinking up the joint. I'll be over here. I'm sorry.
0: <laughs> well, I'm I'm ready to fight, Joe. Do you have any strong feelings about this movie? <laughs> yeah,
3: yeah, yeah, I do. So, so this one, so I saw. So my total uh, for the year is 202. Um, this one came in at 169 for me. <laughs> um, now, <laughs> <Best>. <laughs> now I want to be I want to be fair. I want to be fair. A lot of people really like this movie. A lot of people, um, uh, you know, even among our group, a lot of people. Um, nominated it for Original Vision and for a host of other things, um, and and really enjoyed it and got it. I didn't so much. I I kept waiting for something to happen myself. Um, I, I agree with you with the things they were looking for, the things they were trying to do. It just didn't grab me, I think, the way that it grabbed you. Um, and, and that's okay. I'm perfectly fine with that. <laughs> Uh, you know, I'm not going to be like you're out of your mind because a lot of people did like this, and and I'll also say, I tried to watch this movie, I think three times before I got through it. Um, the now two of the three times were late at night, and I fell asleep, and I woke up late in the movie, and I was like, what? How long have I been out? <laughs> and, and so uh, I just, you know, I was like, I'll just try tomorrow. So, you know, I want to be, I want to fully disclose all of that. Before I, you know, before you, someone decides to have to take sides on that, it, um, I, I think I appreciated some of these things more than I really enjoyed the movie uh, myself. So I can't, I, I don't want to fault you too much for, you know, saying, oh my god, this is a terrible movie. It wasn't terrible. Um, to me, it just didn't quite make what it, you know, make it where it could it didn't go where it could have gone. There's, there's another movie, and I'm going to try and I'm trying to think of it now. That was pretty similar. Um, I hope I can. I hope I can find it. I don't scroll over it.
2: Is it? Is it number one sixty eight? And
3: I will say, I I do. Some of these could maybe be realigned, and it probably deserves to be a little higher than than what I have it at now. Um, but there is a movie called. Uh, I'm not going to find it now. <laughs> so, oh, it's called Dark Encounter. So it's okay. it's very low budget, much like the uh, the Vast of Night is. Um, also deals with with an alien invasion um, plot. It's a little more on the nose, but um, I I connected with it. Now that movie is a one forty six, so take that as may. <laughs> but but,
0: <laughs> but oh boy!
3: Oh, uh, I but I will say that um, I I think it it grabbed me a little more and maybe because I, you know, for an alien invasion movie, I largely like, you know, like it to be a little more on the nose, maybe. Um, but, you know, it,
0: it is what it is. <laughs> I mean, I'll just say this. I'll just say now this. Now
2: you're the Irishman. That's
0: good. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there's, there's no, I mean, we've talked many times on here uh, that of our differences in terms of what can generally captivate us. We, we, we overlap yeah. a lot and then we have, uh, our Venn diagram, there are areas it doesn't, and this is uh-huh. probably one of those. I, I am a complete sucker if someone can do something interesting and different with storytelling. And it's not that this has mm-hmm. never been done. I already listed several other movies. What came to mind when I was watching it, actually, is My Dinner with Andre, which is funny, because they're really not
1: really yeah, that alike. But, yeah. but
0: yeah. the what they're doing is the same thing. You know, Andre Gregory is literally telling mm-hmm. Wallace Shawn about this trip he took and how fucking wild it was Mm. and and i am just captivated by that i i love being able to sit down with someone and them tell me this incredible story and i can visualize it and i can just be Mm. in it and that is exactly what the vast of night did and again it didn't start off that way uh but it ended up that way for me matthew what's up
2: Well, since since I did not see this and you brought up a title, I have an anecdote, so I feel like I'm I'm at least getting some equal time. Uh, (laughs) I I saw my dinner with Andre with my father at when it opened in 1982. There was a there was a art house theater in suburban Detroit that we would go to, and uh, Siskel and Ebert had raved about it, and it finally came to to the Detroit area. And I'm 12, and I walk out. yeah i walked out of the film and and dad dad enjoyed it and he goes what did you think man? he goes and i said i i don't know he goes didn't you like it i said it's not that i didn't like it i was stunned that they made it (laughs) and and (laughs) as i got older of course i could appreciate it more and now i have it on blu-ray and i think more people should see uh that film but yeah Yeah. it's just one of those like wow, they, they actually did this. Yeah, I, I would love to just yeah. sit
0: and talk about My Dinner with Andre, because one, I can't believe they ever made a Blu-ray of it, which I'm thrilled they did, but it's Criterion, like... Criterion, bitches! Yeah. <laughs> 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 but anyways, yeah. that's my number nine, The Vast of yeah. Night. Um, Joe and I can fight about this some more later. So, um, number eight, though. Uh, Matthew, let's go ahead and dive into your number eight. What's that?
2: Okay. Uh, this is the... Uh, old straight white male portion of the show. My number eight is uh, Promising Young Woman, the uh, <laughs> the revenge film of the year. And one that'll, it, it, when it comes to revenge films, whether it's male or female, I think it'll be in the same ballpark as Point Blank and Steven Soderbergh's The Limey. Um, this is written and directed by Emerald Fennell. And another heavy lifting performance from Carrie Mulligan as a woman who as. Very meticulous, almost jigsaw levels of planning is to avenge her her best friend who was a, a rape victim. And yeah. uh, you also have Bo Burnham, Alison Bree, Clancy Brown, Jennifer Coolidge, Connie Britton, Alfred Molina, all coming off the bench for this. And yeah. uh, not to give away. So, so if you're a fan of revenge, this is and the and morality tales. Um, this, this delivers and the without giving away the ending, the ending of the film gave me the biggest movie laugh of 2020 and <laughs> and took and then took a song that re, that was previously owned by Deadpool and kicked Deadpool in the balls and took the song. <laughs> so um, yeah. I, and so, I, as, I guess I have to, as, as an old straight white male, I enjoyed the hell out of this. And I, you know, even just as a standard revenge film, I enjoyed this a great deal. And I know it's much, much more than that. And there are far more qualified critics and scholars and ladies that could write about this far better than I. But I, I enjoyed myself watching this.
0: Yeah, Promising Young Woman is is a film that I did get around to. And Joe, I do want to get to you. Uh, but I just want to yeah. I think I can sum up my feelings very quickly. Um but Promising Young Woman did not make my top 10. I had a an interesting relationship with this movie as I was watching it because it took the end, the part that you're talking about, that whole last third act basically, yeah. Yeah. to kind of almost win me over because um th- watching it, uh it it felt like Heavy-handed to a fault for me, um, like like getting there. And it wasn't until the end when I realized, oh, that's what this movie's doing, that the heavy-handedness kind of made a bit more sense to me. Um, Mm -hmm. So though I didn't connect as well, I strongly encourage people to check it out, because it is one of those also kind of unique experiences in that kind of revenge genre, if you will. I don't like calling it a genre, but you know what I mean, like in that kind of revenge vein. Yeah. Yeah. But Joe. Absolutely. Yeah, go for it. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So it, um, yeah. So this is my number four, actually. So we'll, you know, we'll, um, go ahead and go there. Um, and yeah. And and Matt alluded to, um, the, some of our experiences with it uh, and that is that some of the women within our group actually didn't like this movie as much as, as, um, as we did. And even as much as maybe we anticipated they would. Um, and I thought their, their take was pretty interesting. Um, but yeah, again, so we have to just have to look at it through that that lens of our ourselves. Um, that it's it's an interesting premise. Um, the you know, and then, I don't know. We touched on the premise of it is that she's um, a friend, a good friend of hers had had been the victim of, of an attack, and so she, uh, Carrie Mulligan's character, now is traveling out to um, to clubs and. She'll, you know, she'll, she'll kind of target some some dude bros that are kind of out there hanging out, being douchebags, and will um, when they approach her, she'll pretend that she's you know tipsy, falling over drunk, and will go home with them, and then will you know when as things are progressing, then she'll raise an objection and see what happens, and and of course when they press, she then reveals who she really is, and um, you know the. Early on in the film, I thought she was, let's say, delivering the ultimate injustice, you know, to these guys. But really what she's doing is is shaming them, um, which is something that, you know, it kind of took me half the movie to, to get through. And I'm like, wait a minute, this is kind of weird. I thought she was, you know, offing these guys. Um, but, yeah, she's really kind of giving them a, a stern talking to and, and just embarrassing them severely so um so in that case it you know it maybe it's a little wishy-washy but you know you mentioned that ending that ending is something else um what you know what happens i don't want to get into too much obviously is a big spoiler but it's uh it's an intricate um uh, escape valve kind of thing that happens that was uh that was, is pretty clever and and really i just i enjoyed it in the context of what what else happened in the film
2: I think the other thing with this film is that nobody nobody gets off. Pardon the expression, but I mean nobody gets off <laughs> clean. And, but I mean, there's there's I mean, there is a character. It's well, it's like when we when we've seen films set in the American South during slave times. You know, as if the, this the, one of the stock characters is the nice plantation owner. Yeah. Or, you know the nice Nazi guard. there's none of that in this. there's there's I mean all of the the men that are represented in this don't uh, they, they don't get away easily. even even though there, there's a again not giving away a whole lot the yeah. Alfred Molina character who has I think just one scene and mm-hmm. becomes a, and becomes a plot point but but there right. nobody gets nobody gets off unscathed in in, yeah. in her path.
1: Yeah, and yeah.
2: Uh, and I think as, as audience members, sometimes you you want to see that you want to see somebody redeemed, and that's that's not this film's job. This this is probably the film. Uh, actually, there's a few titles in here. This was one I would have loved to have seen with a with a crowd. Just just yes, so, that yeah, would have been because interesting. Because I mean, yeah. I'm most of the time, a film is great or a film is shit, whether there's one person there or a hundred. But I would have loved to have heard the crowd respond to this. Absolutely,
3: yeah. And and there and you know and you mentioned that nobody gets out, you know, nobody gets out unscathed. There's a there's sort of a uh, a, a character who kind of represents the not all men, you know, kind of crowd. Oh, yeah,
2: Eighth grade director. Yeah,
3: and yeah, and you know, <laughs> you know if, if you do if you look at, at that through an online perspective, there there's always the whenever there's a woman, you know, bagging on a man on online, there's always a well, not all men are like that, you know, and there's always that guy and that guy has a prominent role in this film. And, uh, you know, he's all, you know, he's the nice guy until he's not, you know, and it's like that, that's what really, you know, as, you know, again, you know, like I said, as, as a white man, that's some as a white man dealing with the, with these things. And, you know, as, as they're um, becoming, you know, big societal issues for us, it's, it's something that stuck to me um, that, you know, the the nice guy is only the nice guy until he's not you know, and, and, uh, and everybody thinks they're nice, whether they are or not. So there, you know, there's, there's a bit of that in there. And it's, uh that that's, that's what, what stuck on me so much and, and stayed with me so much as much as the, uh, as much as the, the feminist aspect of it, it's the, the man who wants to be an ally, um, who, who acts like an ally, but maybe he sometimes wasn't, he, when he could have been, mm-hmm. um, it, it was as powerful as, as all the rest of it.
0: Yeah. yeah agree. It's it's certainly it's certainly challenging. I think it does challenge mm-hmm. a lot of kind of social accept socially acceptable uh or mm-hmm. socially justifiable um yes. behaviors. And 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 it is it is relentless at its vision in terms of what it's tackling. And mm-hmm. uh, I think Matthew said it great where this is not a movie about redemption, this is a movie about revenge. And uh, yeah. so when you go into it, understand uh no one's safe. <laughs> like like mm-hmm. she's she's going to get her revenge and uh yeah. it's an interesting film again it's it's one that I sat and kind of wrestled with myself and and you get into the thing of you know I love this aspect of it but this part just doesn't click with me and you know mm-hmm. a lot of that and any movie at the very least that does that I'm just like make your own opinion watch this movie yeah. you know what I mean? go for mm-hmm. it, Matthew
2: uh, there's there's one that I have I have to acknowledge this anytime there's a film where Clancy Brown is not playing a raging psychotic. You have to mention that. And so kudos. Yes. Kudos to Clancy Brown for being played. And I love cinematic gene pools. According to this film, Jennifer Coolidge and Clancy Brown equals Carrie Mulligan. So <laughs> way to go. Way to go, guy. Yeah.
0: And <laughs> and, and you were right. Carrie Mulligan's fantastic in this uh, in terms of whether I particularly like the character or not. She does it so well. I love Carrie Mulder. She's just one of those like in everything. I remember the first time I saw her was never let me go from 2010, which was my favorite film of that year. I absolutely adored it. Mm -hmm. And she was a huge reason for that. I mean, she's just so great. And I've just looked forward to every movie uh, that she's been in that I've seen since. Um, yeah. Agreed. It's, it's, uh, I don't know. That's, that's, that is uh, Matthew's number eight, uh, promising mm-hmm. young woman. Uh, Joe, what's your number eight?
3: <laughs> My number eight is uh, going to shift gears quite a bit. Um, it is a... Borat 2. No. No.
0: <laughs> no.
3: I I really enjoyed Borat 2, but it's not, that yeah, didn't quite make it. Um, I, I have it higher than most people probably do actually, but um, no, this is a um, a film by Thomas Vinterberg, um, centered in much the opposite way around a group of men. Uh, this movie is called Another Round, and it stars Mads uh, Mads Mikkelsen, I believe, is the way to pronounce his name. Um, you guys, you know, American mainstream audience does know him as the TV Hannibal Lecter. Uh, he was a James Bond villain. Um, he is a badass, and he is awesome in this movie. Um, he plays a um, one of four high school teachers who decide that their lives are um, kind of in the shitter. They're kind of dull and boring, and they decide that if they if they find a certain amount of inebriation in their life, that it will be kind of it's kind of the uh, the perfect balance of of happiness uh, to be just uh, just so drunk, you know. And so it's the four of them tinkering around. They're kind of mostly sneaking and um, kind of secretly being buddies, going out drinking. But their goal is to be drunk all the time to to some extent. So that's while they're at school, you know, teaching. And like I said, they're all high school teachers, whether they're at home, whether they're out with, you know, with their friends, they want to be drunk. And it, it, it has – and and some interesting effects, both positive and negative. Um, you know, he's, he's considered, uh, uh, Mads' character is considered one of the more boring, straightforward teachers in his school. And then he suddenly is very popular with, with the students and, uh, you know, they're all looking forward to it. He kind of gets his mojo back. And then of course, you know, there's, there's an inevitable, you know, fall at some point. So, um, it's a lot of just great fun moments. Um, uh, of course, it gets serious at times, but it's a it's a nice roller coaster ride. It is in I want to say it's uh, it Danish. Danish, it's yes. Danish. It's Danish, yeah. So um, you know uh, we have to get through the the Austin Glidden Memorial. I don't like subtitles. Uh- <laughs> I do
0: now. Don't say wait, this what? with Matt. Hold on, hold on. Stop. Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, hold on, Matthew. Prior prior to Amelie. Hold on. Prior to Amelie, because you don't know this about me. Uh, uh-huh. I would not watch anything with subtitles okay this is yeah. prior to 2003 now hold on I wasn't a film guy stop it you're judging me
2: I, 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 you're hold, not on. The first hold on first person I've encountered about this so here's the thing though here's here,
0: here's the cute story real quick just briefly because I don't want to waste time on this episode for this but I have you need this context and I can't give it to you later because then you're gonna judge me the whole goddamn episode so here's the thing um my wife and I dated in 2003. My best friend showed us Amelie, and as soon as subtitles hit the screen, I was like, fuck this, and I just went to sleep.
1: Oh, God. My wife
0: got so mad. Now, this isn't why we broke up, but this is one of the kind of pivotal things. We broke up. In 2003, we were both 18, and and we broke up, right? So we reconnected 14 years later. Now we're married, and we're happy and all that. But the point is, I, I because I was so sad when we broke up, um, I went back after we broke up and watched Lee and that changed my life. I love subtitles. I watched them on everything now. Joe, right. you dick.
2: <laughs>
0: okay.
3: Well, I was I saying awesome. that in the sense that you didn't use to, and now you do.
2: Awesome. He was also I was going
3: to say, say, hopefully this movie can do that for someone else. <laughs> what would you say, Matthew.
2: Awesome. he was also talking about your mama. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just
3: a well, little bit,
2: you yeah. <laughs> no, And it's funny you mentioned that well, that, that blind side. My God. Um, no, no. Right know, this, this is the type of film I'm like, please don't remake this. Please, please, please do not remake yes. this Vince Vaughn or whatever. And it's gonna be, you know, drunks are funny. And and it's right. this is much more than that. And and I can't remember, this is the second third i mean mads and and director thomas vandenberg have worked together before yeah and um and and yeah this this didn't i'm just jumping in this this didn't make my top 10 It probably made the top 15 Mm -hmm. but it really rides that rail of it's not it it could turn into animal house and it doesn't and Mm -hmm. it could turn into the lost weekend or leaving las vegas and it doesn't quite do that, although it, it teeters. It's it, well, you know what? It's like a sobriety test. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And but only th- this time the film makes it. And yeah. Uh, and yeah, Mads is great in this. So so good to watch. Uh-huh. Um, another another ending I don't want to give away, but here yeah. it's one of those things that kind of comes out of nowhere, and you find out that this man is capable of uh-huh. doing anything physically. Yeah. <laughs> in- Performance. So, yeah,
3: yeah. I, I will say you know you mentioned that American remake thing um this year saw did see one of those um and that was a movie called downhill that um was
1: oh,
3: yeah. yeah that it was um a, originally it was a film there's a film called force majeure that came out just a couple of years ago that was really good about a guy who is you know they're about a family they're they're on a ski trip and they're sitting at a restaurant and suddenly there's an avalanche, and the the patriarch of the family jumps up and takes off running, like essentially leaving his family to die in an avalanche. Of course, it passes; it's just like a light dusting. But then the family has to deal with that, the kind of the the fallout of of what he did when the chips were down. They turn. So that movie was remade this year as Downhill, um, starring Will Ferrell and Julia Louis Dreyfus. Oh and it my God! Terrible. Yeah, and you're you're supposed to see this character now as as just a big lovable oaf, and it it just did not work. Um, it, was, it tried to be a comedy. Yeah, and this movie is is right for that, and I yeah I'll keep my fingers crossed that that never happens because well, this is is just a stellar movie, and, and it would be ruined. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think I think the important thing uh, about what you guys are saying because my God, I cannot stress enough how much I hope that does not happen. You know, yeah. a, quick, a quick backstory with uh, Thomas Vinterberg. He's never been any any stranger to controversy or trying to uh, do things outside the box. He was one uh, with uh, Lars von Trier. He started the Dogma 95 movement in the 90s, yeah. and yeah. probably his first huge success was The Celebration, which is one of those films. Um, and then later, you know, he does a movie like The Hunt, which I actually haven't seen, but I know what it's about. I want to see it so <laughs> badly. That was um, starring Mad, Mads Nicholson. Yeah, Mads Nicholson. My- yeah, yeah. And and uh, and that's a heavy movie we can talk about sometime, especially whenever I see it finally. Uh, but uh, another round is an interesting film because at the end, and and I'm I'm going a different direction eventually, so you know don't stone me right away. But at the end, it never condemns the drinking, and I'm not ruining anything. I'm just saying <laughs> like there's never condemnation when it comes to, essentially, their alcoholism, okay? And this is what's interesting, though. I was watching interviews, because, to be honest, that that kind of stuck with me a bit, because I didn't know how to feel about it by the end. And I started watching interviews with Mads Mikkelsen and Thomas Vinterberg, and they were talking about how in Denmark, everyone drinks. Like, this is a cultural thing that people do. And so the way that the film ends is actually just normal. Like, this is how people normally are, whereas our Mm. U.S. eyes, right, are just kind of like, man, they're fucked up all the time, you know? Whenever they (laughs) first start off drinking and whenever they're doing, like, the stuff, the teaching, as you mentioned, Joe, and stuff like that, because I don't want to give too much away here, uh, but, like, it seems completely absurd, and quite frankly, to them, it's probably not that crazy, right? And and so there is a cultural component that, going back to the remake, if there were a remake of this, would 100% be lost. You could not do it this way here. It could not yeah. be this way. So it will inevitably be a fucking train wreck if they do yeah. this. And and I was, I was, um, I really liked this movie. Uh, it was on my top 10 until it kind of got booted off, uh, yeah. fairly quickly, but, uh, I'm a big fan. T- uh, uh, Matthew, what's up?
2: I, it's funny. I, I also saw, I, I remember getting to see the celebration in the theater, which was, <laughs> yeah. and that's, that's a quiet group when you walk out. Yeah. yeah. And, um, <laughs> on my pile we've we I'm sure I was one of those that were picking the bones of the carcass of our local uh, family video store in the last couple of weeks and one of the titles is a Vinterberg film his his film version of Far from the Madding Crowd mm-hmm. also with Carrie Mulligan and yeah. also a, a really really solid uh adaptation of a costume drama that's that's way better than its original done the one done in the late 60s so anyway there's a side side recommendation for uh, for mr vinterberg's work
0: yeah yeah and and he's great he's one of those guys uh like lars von trier to an extent they went very different directions but um but that kind of got away from the dogma thing we're like we're just gonna try to make movies we want to make and his movies man connect with people i'm talking about Winterberg.
1: Yeah. Um, and
0: far from yeah. matting crowd, which I haven't seen, but I know the cast, that cast is crazy good. Yeah, uh, so really? that's, that's one I gotta, I gotta kind of go back cause I, I've missed a lot of his movies. Um, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, another round is Joe's number eight. Uh, Ooh. my number eight, which if I'm not mistaken and, and fellas, you can tell me if we're going to talk about this later, cause I might hold off a little bit. Uh, my number eight is never rarely, sometimes always by Eliza, Eliza Hitman. Um, uh-huh. I'm pretty sure if I remember correctly, this is on Matthew's list, correct? Uh, it's next actually. So yeah. Oh, go for oh great. It. Yeah. Well, then next this, for me also. So are you kidding? Yeah. I get yeah, to do two in a row. Okay. Got some so, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'll, I'll go ahead and just start, uh, by saying that, uh, the, the film follows Autumn, which is played by expertly, I think for her first film, uh, by Sydney Flanagan. Uh, Where Mm -hmm. she's a 17-year-old in high school, and she's found out that she's pregnant, and she sees herself in no position to have the child, and she can't let her parents know. She's uh, afraid of them. There's clearly some hint at possible abuse there. So she seeks an abortion, but in Pennsylvania, where they live, uh, you can't have an abortion without your parent or guardian's consent. So she and her cousin Skylar, played by uh, Talia Ryder, uh, which is also very good. Uh, they make the journey to New York, uh, where she can have the procedure done without her parents knowing. And this is really one of those films where, uh, again, back to quiet and subtle, and you know, mm-hmm. you're just kind of living this life with these people. You know, I, I I can't really express personally why this movie connects with me so much, other than the film's just really well done. Uh, mm-hmm. I think part of it's because I did grow up in like conservative evangelical households my entire life and being around anti-abortionists when I was you know like 10 holding up an anti-abortion sign on the side of the road because I was just around these people so it's like interesting watching a movie like this and being like man I totally get that other side I don't agree with it but I totally like I could just like see all of these wheels turning and I just felt so much for Flanagan's character Autumn whenever like the lady's basically trying to like you know, uh, prophesy to her or whatever, you know, like, like basically trying to win her over to Jesus. And, um, I don't know, it broke my heart, but you know, uh, I believe it was Michael Phillips, if I remember correctly from the Chicago Tribune, uh, that said he thinks anti-abortionists should see this because it really highlights how hard getting an abortion still really is. (laughs) And, um, And so, uh, man, I, Flanagan is awesome here for this being her first feature. Like I said, I was actually blown away that this was her first, uh, kind of full feature. Um, and man, she's really great. Uh, I love how subtle the film is almost like too subtle for many people, I bet. But for me, I, I love, I love just being in it. You know what I mean? Just like, living life with these people i mean i like cassavetes so you know i mean what else is there so i never Mm -hmm. felt like uh the film also like blatantly condemned anything but it more showed you this experience and let you kind of like read that as as you need to so i i love although i mean even whenever she does go to the the uh clinic where they're trying to basically show her videos about from, like, kind of like a conservative evangelical perspective, you know, um, it's yeah. like I don't feel like the film itself is even condemning those people. You just get from her reaction, she's like, this isn't what she wants. She's not into it. And I, I love that kind of quote unquote objectivity. Of course, this film is subjective, but you get what I mean when I say that. Um, but uh, I'll just say this and I'm going to pass it on to Matthew. Um, the never, rarely, sometimes, always seen. Uh, you guys know what I'm talking about that, that wrecked me. Um, That was, that was the movie that went from like, man, is this going to be top 10 to this is somewhere right there in the middle of my top 10 for sure. That scene also really showcased how good Flanagan is in terms of like, she's been so subdued prior to that. And then she hits these like very nuanced uh, emotional moments. I mean, she was impressive, especially in this scene. But man, just, just to give some people some context without giving it away, when she's speaking to to someone at a clinic, never, rarely, sometimes, always is kind of the the uh, Likert scale, so to speak, that they mm-hmm. give her and then they ask her questions or make statements. And then she says never, rarely, sometimes, or always based on how that relates to her or if she's experienced mm-hmm. it. And the questions they ask And the word of those four that she gives them gives you so much background on her in such a subtle way that allows your brain to kind of project onto her. I mean, I love this movie. And I'll just say real quick, you can watch this anywhere you can access HBO. Uh, So please go check it out. But I want to get to Matthew. Matthew, this is year number seven. So, I mean, thoughts? If she...
2: If she only had Jason Bateman and Jennifer Garner to give the baby to. Um, <laughs> and, <laughs> well, and it's, it's, it's interesting that we mentioned the whole, I mean, yeah, it's, it's it, the film feels more about this one moment as opposed to a film about the concept of abortion. Yes. Um, yeah. So, so it, it's not a grand statement. It's a single story. It, this The trip does not feel like a quest it's not i mean it it is a road trip but it isn't yes. um, you mentioned you mentioned Cassavetes is is kind of like that it's it's everything is subtle and it's it's it it's not an action film it, it you know it's all internal and and as we go on through the the once they get to new york and the red tape that they have to go to the not only the bureaucratic red tape but the emotional stuff that that oh, she yeah. has to go mm-hmm. and and the guy who Fortunately the, there's a guy that they meet on the bus and it, that could have gone down a path unfortunately for the most part it, it doesn't.
1: Yeah.
2: Um, I was I, I saw that character and started to dread Same. Oh we're gonna run into him in one of the largest cities on the planet, but you're you know, a bus station's a bus station. So <laughs> Um, but yeah, the fact that it's just about one, this one story as opposed to a, a large statement, and yeah, really good performances from uh, from some newbies, and I, I can't wait to see what they're going to do next.
0: Yeah, yeah. Eliza Hittman is now on my radar. You know what I mean? Like she's Absolutely. great. Absolutely. Uh, but Joe, this is your excuse me. This is your number seven as well. Give me your thoughts. Yeah.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So just to to piggyback a little bit on what uh, you said, Michael Phillips from Chicago Tribune said, that's that's exactly what this film did for me was that, you know, abortion is, is such a polarizing issue and it's such a you're not going to change anybody's mind issue. And everyone's dug in on it. But this really puts that face on it, you know, from from the, the never rarely, rarely, sometimes always seen. But the other one that that struck me was, you know, you you mentioned the early on where she's in in her hometown, and she's at the women's clinic, where the the woman who is there immediately starts to, um, it, you know, um, almost preach to her about, you know, this is your baby, and the, you know, you this baby and immediately, and, and when that happens, you really it's it, cringeworthy, it, it really, it, yeah, really sticks in, you know, sticks in you a little bit, but then later on when she does go to New York and this was the one that, that got me was the, the playing politics with abortion. And you find out that that woman also lied to her about how far along she was Yeah. because if she, it, in doing that, it limits the um, it, it made, she made her think that she had more time to go decide on an abortion than she actually did have in a legal sense, because I think it was, um, I believe at 20 weeks was the cutoff in New York. Yeah. And she told her that she was at like 10 weeks or something when she was really more like it 17 or 18 weeks. So if she had waited, she would have passed that threshold and not been able to get an abortion and basically been stuck with a child that that she doesn't want. And that was such just a just a moment of that is a really dirty thing to do to somebody, you know, as a medical professional, or as you're supposed to be a medical professional anyway. And it speaks to so many just larger political issues and, and just games that people play with this Yeah. that it, you know, and, and this young girl is is the setup to be the potential vic- victim of that, as you would imagine, you know, hundreds or thousands of other women probably have been as well. So that that was the thing that, that stuck me first before that, never rarely, sometimes always seen, which, as you said, was just beautifully written and amazingly acted. And yeah, it's just yeah, And it's just a, a kick in the gut as as she's asking these questions. You you anticipate these these are going to ramp up to more serious things. Yeah. And then the answers that she gives to those more serious things, you're like, oh my god, this is just you know, this is just incredible. You know, the in, in, a, in a heartbreaking way, right? So yeah, that that's what makes it such a strong film to me. Is and just all of the various emotions that go on, you know, you, you almost forget after a while that these are two teenage girls and then they start having teenage girl fights and arguments and, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and they they both learn a lot on this trip and, and, you know, you learn a lot about them. So it's um, yeah, it, it's a nice, just it's a slice of life in a, in a, just a horror, horrific, um, just kind of seminal moment in a, a young woman's life. And, and uh it, yeah uh, eliza hitman by the way a graduate of indiana university
0: oh nice um,
3: yeah so that's um another another terrific thing um yeah and j- just a fantastic movie just a fantastic
0: yeah little, you know yeah. Uh, the other thing too is uh you know it really illuminates how little teenagers or or people mm-hmm. growing up to being you know of age to be parents or i don't know how you want to say that but whatever yeah that thing is it really shows how little people know about the process. Like she yes. didn't know what to do. Luckily, you know, father Google was there and, and able to right. like help them find what they needed. But um, yeah, yeah. And, and also I was also really happy that the clinic in New York, the doctor that was helping her and asking her the, you know, never rarely, sometimes, always uh, I love the lack of judgment there. And I love, like this is, yes. in my view, at least, I guess this could be personal. This is what a person at a clinic like that should be, you yeah. know? Mm-hmm. Um, and the whole time, because I watched this and my wife was playing Animal Crossing on our Switch and she eventually put it down and started watching it because it just kept drawing her in. And when she yeah. was there, like after that, because the the doctor, whoever was facilitating that questioning, uh, yeah. gave her uh, Autumn the card saying like, if you need anything while you're here, like, please let me know. And the whole time my wife's like, why doesn't she just call the doctor? <laughs> like the, the <laughs> yeah. clinically, like, cause we just wanted so badly. Cause she ends up in like a hard way. And and when you yeah. watch the film, you'll know. Um, and I don't know. I, I, I really loved this movie. I can't, it's one of those that I just can't wait to buy. And then when people, the right people at least come over, it's like, this is one I want to watch. You know, I love bummers yeah. by the way. And not that this is a bummer, but it's heavy, you know, like this yeah. movie gets heavy. And I love whenever I can go on that journey. Any any final thoughts about uh, never, rarely, sometimes, always?
2: It's no citizen Ruth,
0: <laughs> dude. I love that movie. <laughs>
2: well, yeah, as Dubai. The, but uh, yeah, but, the, yeah. The, the
0: comedy version also yeah.
2: also a double feature. You don't want to do. Don't do that. Do that. Yeah, yeah,
0: really. <laughs> that's an. I mean, you're all you're doing is giving me ideas. So so this is great. These um, are your
2: pledge dollars at work. So. <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, um since that was your guys number 6, I are th- uh number 7. Yeah, seven, 7. Sorry. Um uh I get to go on to mine I guess now. We're just jumping Yeah. Yep. Okay, guys. Okay, I'm just going to let you know this. My first note is just ha 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 the whole line and yeah. then below that, I'm going to try not to talk about this movie too long. Um Because I'm going to want to. I don't think either of you have seen this, but Matthew, uh, you can let me know if I'm wrong. Uh, This is Václav uh, Marhul's The Painted Bird from the Czech Republic. Um, This is uh, basically an art film uh, with a pretty interesting cast. Uh, Peter Kotlar is this little boy, first time. Um, and also in it as supporting roles as Udo Keir, Stellan Skarsgård, Harvey Keitel, Barry Pepper, and Julian Sands, other people as well. But here's the thing, though. Each of these people are only in one kind of section uh, of the movie. This film is uh, basically, in, in, to, in summation, I guess, uh, this film follows a young boy who's forced to li- uh, leave his aunt's house and journey through the 1940s European war-torn landscape in search of his home and his family. The film is in chapters, much like the book it's based on, uh, each focusing on a different on different people that the boy is taken in by through his journey. So, you know, there's a point where you know he meets Udo Kier's character, Stellan Skarsgård, so on. Um, I want to say a few things, and then I'm going to qualify a few things, especially for anyone listening to this who might have seen this, because this was an under-the-radar thing for a lot of people. And I'm going to be fully clear. I'm surprised I liked this movie as much as I did, because it is not typically something I would be captivated by so much, and I'll get to that in a moment. So, um, you know, despite the fact, like I said, that Udo Kier, Stellan Skarsgård, Harvey Keitel, and Barry Pepper in this... Um, I love that the film is in segments, so it's like in these little chapters, much like a book, uh, very kind of literary in the way it's told, it's almost three hours long, and it takes its time, and each of these characters, as I said, as the boy wanders through this war-torn landscape, uh, is taken in or confronted by uh, different people, um, including those four actors, and, and I'll say this, man, Kotlar, the, the little boy, again, I think this is his first film, this kid impressed the hell out of me and it's one of those things where uh i i i don't know if it was the director busting like a hitchcock like in the birds where you know he didn't tell tippy hedren that birds were gonna fly out to get a real reaction or uh you know things like that i don't know if a lot of this was just scaring the shit out of this little boy to get like this visceral reaction uh Mm -hmm. or what but uh I, I was really impressed by this kid and the kid is really the cornerstone for me because I, like, by the end of what you might consider like a first act, like 30 minutes in or so, I'm so invested in this boy getting where he needs to go. Um, and, uh, you know, the the film is shot in this absolutely beautiful black and white. Um, yeah. The film, I think, could be compared to something like an Andre Tarkovsky movie. Um, I'm sure... It's at least safe to assume that Tarkovsky was a huge influence. And it also reminds me at times of Lars von Trier's Antichrist, funny enough, and uh, which is also kind of likened to Tarkovsky. And we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, and then also a little bit of like Hineke's White Ribbon came to mind a bit. Um, I don't know how accurate one might say that is, but uh, those are all kind of things as I was watching that came to mind. Uh, But the film just kind of floats through this grim world, and it's just full of hardship and mourning. (laughs) Like, the whole thing. This is not a date movie, as Matthew kind of, like, mentioned earlier. It's, (laughs) like, for another movie. This is not uh, a movie that you just, like, want to sit down and, uh, quote-unquote, escape from 2020. This was not that movie, okay? (laughs) Uh, But I will say this, uh, before I kind of get into some of the wacky stuff real quick. The cinematography by Vladimir Sputney is absolutely stunning in my opinion. Uh, I would possibly say this film is the best cinematography of the year that I saw. Uh, extremely powerful black and white and it felt like it was of another time. And I I mean that as a as a complete compliment. I mean this felt like I kept telling people this is like the movie Come and See, you know, except for like in, you know, 20 2020 era except for it feels like a 1980s movie that's influenced by 1950s art films. <laughs>
1: you know, like like that kind
0: of a thing, you know? Um, and then, uh, like I said, the craft as a whole is damn near flawless. I mean, uh, every, every set piece, every location, every uh, outfit, like for, for all of their costuming, everything seemed to be perfect. Now, all of that said okay as a craft this movie is just a really exceptional piece of work that I am prouder than hell to have on my list here's the thing I think that sets most people back okay <laughs> because this film does flirt with exploitation in a series of scenes Matthew real quick have you seen this did you see- I have okay yeah. okay okay well uh,
2: go for
3: it
0: yeah we'll, we'll we'll get to your thoughts here in a moment because I don't think Joe I don't think you saw this did you
3: I have not okay I have
0: not seen this movie. okay um uh <sighs> So there are some really, there are some really (laughs) intense moments. And this is what kind of made me think of Antichrist that border this exploitation. There's a scene where a character scoops out someone else's eyeballs with a spoon. There's a point where a woman is killed in a way that I have never, ever seen in film ever. Um, the opening scene, I'll just say this real quick. The opening scene is this boy running through the woods with a ferret in his arms. Okay. Okay. And he's running, and this is, I'm already captivated, because I'm like, dude, this is intense. Like, there's no music, nothing. It's just footsteps through leaves, boy breathing heavily, and this, these little squeaks from this ferret. He gets tackled on the ground by another little boy. Two other little boys run over and grab the ferret, douse it in some mysterious liquid, and then the camera sits on sticks, just like tripod, and you watch this thing burn alive. Now, of course, I don't believe this is a real ferret, but I'll tell you this. What a fucking opener. Like, I'm like, I mean, my stomach turned. Um, I felt like I was moved in, like, what many people would say a negative way. Because then it cuts to the boy, and he's just crying watching this. And then it just says, the painted bird over a black screen. I mean, that's the yep. opening. But what it is, is once you finish the film, you realize this is just essentially an allegory of the entire fucking movie. Um, and, uh, I, I mean... <sighs> I could go on and on. I mean, there's bestiality in this movie. There's like just really ridiculous. If you're if you're affected by World War II, like everyone should be affected by it. But what I mean is like if you're uh, like exceptionally affected by Nazis mistreating Jews, there are some really kind of challenging scenes where uh, the Nazis like there are a lot of Jews in a train going to a concentration camp. They escape, but the Jews just start. Or The uh, Germans just start just tearing them up. And and it, those scenes are honestly really, really difficult to kind of sit through at times. Um, but even like the bestiality scene, which I just can't ruin what that is. Um, that's a scene that pulled me out of the movie. And I laughed so hard when I saw it. <laughs> I mean, it's not a funny movie at all. But like, it's weird because a lot of these extreme scenes, the scooping of the eyes, like You know, All of these things, they kind of pulled me out of the movie because the rest of the movie is so still and so slow and so thoughtful and so well-crafted. These these moments stuck out. But I had to give the film credit. I've never seen half of this shit in a movie before. And I was just kind of like blown away by what I was seeing. So in some strange way, I had like a weird positive experience watching some of this stuff that I would hate in other movies probably. Um, I really just... I just feel like this is exceptional in so many ways, Matthew. I could keep going, but I would like kind of your thoughts on this because I, I can't read your read your no, no. expression here. So,
2: all right, um, Joe, are you taking notes on what happens in this film? Um, <laughs> yes, gonna run out. So, this is a film, and and those listening, this happens, I think, with everybody, whether with critics, whether they want to admit it or not. Um, I remember watching this at work. Yeah, well, there's nobody in the building, so I can watch a film like this at work. <laughs> I was like, and, Whoa. <laughs> uh, Yeah, I well, you know, uh, but uh, but I had prior to this, I had I had watched about three or four different films involving World War II and the Holocaust, and then I got into this. So it's kind of bad timing that this was this was on my head sure. going in to watch this. I cannot. I, I'm with you on the The boy's performance is really, really good, and I hope he was, I hope he was treated fairly as a as an as a young artist, and I hope he goes on to do other things. And it's a great looking film, um, but yeah it 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 it's a it's a slog, man. It's a slog to for me to get through this on top of already watching similar. Similar subjects, subject matter, but not to the degree that this was. So it didn't. Yeah. It it didn't quite do it for me. And part of it was just the timing of what I had been watching recently. But, uh, but yeah, this is, this is something, yeah, you're, you're right. There's some, there's some stuff in here I hadn't seen either. And I, I, I have all kinds of weird shit in my collection. So,
0: yeah, I mean, this goes into territories. I mean, like some of the horror films we've talked about, Joe, and some yeah. of the shit you've seen is PG yeah. shit, man. I mean, this is really <laughs> intense. Um, I mean, Italian horror movies from the seventies. What? Like this yeah. is really <laughs> intense and and again I can't stress enough how like these movies might entertain me but they're never usually this high. I think the craft of it and the fact that all these extreme moments added up in total are probably 10 minutes of the movie. Like they're not that many. A lot no. of it really is the slow slog of of it, this it's boy like
2: if- if Lars von Trier adapted Charles Dickens. uh.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. it it just reminded me of like fifties European art movies basically, but like not in the same way, but just like that, like a lot of them could be really sloggy Tarkovsky again, not a, so much a fifties guy as much as got more popular later, but um, I don't know. I just, that's, the boy really did it for me, man. Like, cause, you know, I watched a movie like Beanpole, for example. Um, and and I did really like that movie as well. And it's a total bummer, you know, like like this one, and it's a slog and everything. And the craft is really excellent, I would argue. But it did not reach me like this one did. And it's just one of those, it's just one of those that I'm sure you guys have had in the past where it's like, I, I'm still almost like processing my feelings because I can't quite put my finger on why, but it just is. Does that make sense? Like, it was just a unique experience, probably the most unique experience of the year. Whenever I do cramming sessions, I always try to have a wide variety of movies. So I was intentionally looking up international pictures, and this is the first one, funny enough, that I watched. And uh, I watched the first hour of it, because it's like two hours and 48 or 49 minutes. It's pretty long. And I watched the first hour of it and was like, man, what am I getting into? And it wasn't until... Like, you really start after that point to see the boy's kind of evolution uh, to becoming, like, to really showing his the how the trauma has affected him. Um, and then the end, which I don't want to ruin, but that was really a kicker for me because a lot of people see this as just a droning, depression-inspiring movie, right? Depression-inducing. Mm-hmm. I see the end as hopeful. So even, now, it might only be the last 60 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> it might be the only last, like the last the 60 two seconds, hours and 47, you know, no, no. And, and I bet, I mean, you can at least agree that like, I don't know if you agree with my interpretation of the ending, but you know what scene oh, I'm talking about. I uh, do. I
2: do. No, I, I get it. I get yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I that.
0: now it's not a redemptive story in terms of like, you know, something that will make you feel good in the end. Like, it's just not that. Um, yeah. but I'm all about some bummers and the craft, which does go a long way with me. I haven't seen a movie like this in a long time long time with this type of craft and i'm all about slow movies if it can um
2: draw you in if it can
0: draw me in yeah i mean that's really the thing you know i used antichrist as a comparison and though i do like that movie as an exploitation movie it does not draw me in enough to like for that slowness do you get what i mean that's
2: that's the last film that made me watch it through my fingers yeah yeah Uh, yeah Uh And yeah,
0: uh. yeah. But anyways, um, the painted bird. It's on Hulu for anyone who's interested in seeing it. It's just like a, just like it's just up there. Um, uh, warning, you know, this is at your own <laughs> risk. Yeah. I, I can't what? stress enough how like fucked up this movie is. I mean, it's yeah. it's, it's like crazy. Rape, okay?
2: bestiality, brutal yeah. brutality, animal cruelty. I, I
0: mean, it's it's everything. But but yeah. I I just can't stress enough how much that is like peppered throughout the most just beautiful film that I've seen probably all year in terms of uh, just the craft. Um, And and I don't know how close this is to the book either. I haven't read the book. Um, I don't really think it matters. But, you know, like uh, if if he was trying to be super strict to the book, you know, that could also be maybe the decision why he decided to do certain things. But, uh, you know, all in all, Uh, The Painted Bird is my number seven. Uh, Joe, when we did the wrap up, I had told you that we might like once I hear what your top 10 is, I might try to watch some of those stragglers that I didn't get to. And I told you, yeah, I have one on my list that I won't make you watch. uh, But if you want to, you can. This is the one. So, yeah. So um, I'm sure to take you like I'm sure you'll fall asleep like six times during it. But you'd get I'm through sure. it eventually. So yeah. that that's entirely up to you. But that's my number seven, The Painted Bird. I want to say something before we move on to your number six, Matthew. I feel like this is a really random top ten for me, too. I feel like I do – half my list usually pretty closely aligns with a lot of other people's, like, big top movies. I tend to like mm. some of the bangers. And then I will have a few kind of random ones. I feel like most of my list feels, like, just so, <laughs> like, random – And I think it's a testament, just real quick, to how good I actually think 2020 was and how, unfortunately, a lot of people that I've talked to that aren't film critics uh, don't, like, they didn't see anything in 2020. You know, because the theaters weren't open, they didn't go out of their way to find 2020 movies. And I I hope that this list, being as diverse, I feel like, as our lists have been, encourages people to go see the 25, 30-some-odd movies we're going to list here or whatever, you know, Um, because... Uh, I, I honestly think it was a really strong year, and so um, yeah, I really hope this encourages uh, others to go check these out. But before we even get there, number six, let's go to Matthew. What's your number six, brother?
2: I number my number six. We've already talked about uh, the twentieth century. Mm-hmm. Uh, just bonkers. I need. I you know we. I, I wish in my film library I could have a bonkers section because the twentieth century. Yeah, twentieth century definitely there and uh, as i've mentioned before it's it, it's just fun and weird and really canadian and i i loved all of that so yes please 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 go watch the 20th century
0: <laughs> yeah it's absolutely great anything you want to add joe before we move on
3: yeah i, I think we've said it. i think we've said it all yeah about that one it's yeah yeah, yeah. this go, is yeah, go see it. three
0: yeah. strong recommendations yeah. for that movie i mean Again, I just appreciated the 10 on my list more than that one, but I mm-hmm. love that sure. movie. Like, I just yeah. so bad. Like, you guys are almost making me think, like, should I made them my number 10? Because <laughs> uh, I just I just like it so much. It's I can't wait to show that. I have, like, people in mind that I can't wait after the pandemic yes. subsides. Like, come over, we'll throw this on. You have yeah. to watch this bonk. That's the word I'm going to use, bonkers. Um, uh, and yeah, The Painted like, Bird, because it's a thing. Yeah, <laughs> <It's a> thing. <laughs> All right, Joe, what's your number six, man?
3: Yeah, my number six is um, you know it's one that was kind of oddly, uh, I think it's under the radar um, a little bit, and um, it, and it's weird. You know, you mentioned how good a year you thought 2020 was. I've been saying that for, for a few months now that it's I think it's a very strong year, and and it's it's kind of a testament I think to the the scramble and panic of of the pandemic that the, the movie industry didn't take advantage of that. You know, the fact that, you know, everybody is at home to, you know, to really push the uh, video on demand platforms and, and, you know, buy rent, you know, stream these movies, you know, because there's a ton of good stuff out there. Um, and this is one that was on Amazon prime that I just kind of stumbled across uh, directed by Julie Taymor. Um, it's called the Glorias. And oh, it is, yeah, it is about, it's kind of a biopic of Gloria Steinem. Uh, not kind of. That's exactly what it is. Um, it it kind of takes, in a sense, it takes the uh, uh, Bob Dylan "I'm Not There" formula just just a little bit. Um, in that there are four different people, four different actors playing Gloria Steinem at different different points of of the film, and and then Gloria Steinem herself at some point uh, you know pops up um, as well. But it it was um, you know Gloria Steinem is a person that. Obviously, I'm very aware of her and who she is and what she represents, but what her life was was always kind of a mystery to me. And in this movie, uh, in a lot of ways, demystifies her as a as a person and the character. Um, it goes through, you know, her early life. You know, you see her as as a little girl, and um, and then you see her as you know as a teenager, and then as a young adult, and of course, you know, as I guess in her heyday, as played by Julianne Moore. Um, as she becomes the the editor of Ms. Magazine, and it it's just a as you know films of you know politically polarizing people go. It's a, it's a fun time. Um, it it says a lot. It gives it you know it gives you a, a strong message of who she is and and why she's there. Um, and it it really just spells out her character in the in a really strong way. So uh, you know it, it it does a lot. There's a lot of uh, like I said, a lot of fun to be had with you know as it bounces around. It's it's one of those uh, it bounces time periods with you know it doesn't just go in a linear fashion. So uh, you know so who Gloria is is changing during the film back in a back and forth way. So and and then there's there's a scene where she's kind of interacting with herself that that's kind of fun. So um, it, it's it's just a it's a good. If you want something that's political, but it's not—it's not over. I should say it's not overly heavy, as you know. Some, as you know, we mentioned never, rarely, sometimes, always. And there's some other ones here that that are political in nature, but aren't necessarily as, as heavy. They're they're more digestible, and that's what this one is, I think, and and, and that's why I, why I liked it so much.
0: Yeah, this is uh The Glorious is is a movie that I when I was I usually every year and I did this unfortunately in like November or something. Uh, I'll mm-hmm. go to Letterbox and I'll I'll click one of the 2020 movies. If you just click the year, it'll take you to like l- just a list of every movie that's on Letterbox from that year. And sometimes yeah. you have to do like extra searching cuz some movies technically hit festivals in 2019 and came out mm-hmm. like wide release, you know, blah blah blah. But uh, the Glorious was one. Whenever I made the list, I couldn't find it anywhere. I'm glad to know that it's available now because it was one I just kind of pushed aside because I didn't think I'd get to it. Yeah. Um. Mm-hmm. But uh. Yeah. I'm. I like. I've definitely wanted to see this, and I actually had no idea that they did the the uh, I'm not there kind of thing where they had different people playing one character. I thought mm-hmm. it was just all Julianne Moore because that's like all the yeah. posters and everything I saw were yeah. Were her. yeah. But that yeah. sounds really yeah, interesting. Alicia
3: Vikander plays her. Sorry, to interrupt you. Um, no, I'm done. Alicia Vikander plays her. Who uh, she was? Um, yeah, what was she in? Um, the she uh, Stephen Hawking. Hawking. yeah. Um, oh yeah, she was yeah, she was the she was Tomb Raider, right? No. so she was in like wasn't in she she was in Max a movie with uh, yeah yeah Testament she, of Youth yeah yeah so um, yeah so yeah um, but it, it's 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 a a couple of name actors a couple of people you recognize um and and then a bunch of really strong supporting performances by people that that you hopefully will see in the future a lot of,
0: yeah did you uh, did you see this matthew? no i
2: i I'm a terrible guest. I did not see this, but I did see I did see Mrs. America, so I got to see Rose Byrne as Gloria Steinem. so uh, <laughs> hey, I, you
0: know. but here's the thing. This is the curse of not knowing everyone's top tens prior, yeah, prior. so it's like it's kind of one of those things where it's like, I like the idea of the surprise more, hence why we're doing it this way this time. Um, but yeah. then at the same time, you do run into the problem of potentially uh, not seeing, but I don't see that as a bad thing. You just have more oh. movies to put on your list. You better get right. to it, Matthew.
2: Sorry. And so long, so long as nobody got injured in this Julie Tamor production, then, then we're okay. Spider-Man here. Yeah, exactly. But you know, I started, I, I, was, I felt like i going to be like, the, Hey, wait a minute. I like Gloria Steinem. I saw Mrs. America. <laughs> so, <laughs> so I'm, I'm good. I'm good. So I'm just becoming the guys in, uh, yeah. in promising young woman. So anyway, <laughs> yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> all right, that's Joe's number six. Um, the Glorias. uh, my number six, just to kind of wrap up this first half here is uh, a movie that, um, you know, like I told you up until Friday, the assistant was my number 10. Um, funny enough, this is the movie that kind of moved everything down a slot. Um, and it's, uh, Alan Ball's uncle Frank, which, nice. uh, Oh no. Uh, I can't tell what Matthew's thinking. Yeah. Uh-huh. Okay. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I know Joe's going to be on my side. We're, 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 yeah. we're going to be brothers here. Here's the thing. This movie hasn't done great. Uh, like critically, it hasn't done bad either. Just, it's like a very kind of like neutral thing. Um, and, and, uh, basically this is uh a movie by Alan Ball who also did stuff like 6 Feet Under and uh, a uh-huh. slew of other uh mostly TV stuff but he did some movies. Um yeah. and he's uh, yeah. American Beauty. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, just a few little things. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so <laughs> uh you know, it also stars Paul Bettany, which is super good, uh-huh. Sophia Lillis, which is super good, uh uh-huh. Peter McDc, uh Steve Zahn who I haven't seen since like early 2000s comedies, I feel. I mean, I know he's been in stuff, but it's like very, always very strange to see him in stuff now. Judy Greer's in it. Margot Martindale and uh, Steven Root are kind of like the, and I actually, for as terrible as Steven Root is in this in terms of like a human being, um, I really love him uh, uh, all the time. I hate that he's known as just the stapler guy. This dude is like super talented.
2: Always working. Yeah, yeah. He's so,
0: so good. Um, but basically the film, uh, takes place in 1973 and follows Frank Bledsoe and his 18 year old niece, Beth, uh, when they take a road trip from Manhattan to Creekville, South Carolina for the family's patriarch's funeral or for the family patriarch's funeral. And they're unexpectedly joined by Frank's lover, Wally. Uh, each of them learn, grow and work through trauma, especially Frank. Um, I think the movie actually follows Beth even more, uh, at least at the outset, but, um, you know, it really does become about, and the film is ultimately about Uncle Frank. Um, you know, I don't know why I love this so much. This is another one. I just saw this. I've processed it uh, a bit, but I just, I, because I've been cramming so much, I haven't had enough real time. Mm. This is uh, one of those picks that's just purely um, uh, kind of a, a gut reaction in a way. I mean, I had a really strong response to this. This movie made me cry. like, <laughs> like you know, um. So, you know, I, I don't know why I love it so much, but... You know, uh, the film at times, uh, admittedly, can be overdramatic. For example, like the reading of The Will, if you guys know what I'm talking about. I felt like that was a bit, you know, it, it gets pretty overdramatic. There are scenes that are strategically put there to build conflict. I can see yeah. through all of that. I totally get it. Um, but something, you know, something really resonated with me here. And and, and maybe it's because I did grow up uh, in that, uh, you know, Christian, like conservative evangelical family where homosexuality was demonized constantly. Maybe it's because I've had, you know, and have friends who have struggled or currently struggle with coming out to their friends and family because it's fucking hard, period. Like, it's just a hard thing in our society. So, you know, I think the film does a good job overall, though, at defining that struggle, at least. It may be a bit hyperbolic at times and it may you know uh you know do what some movies do but uh I don't know I I I really I really liked it now the the film's ending does and I'm curious what you guys think of this the film's ending does seem like wish fulfillment to me because (laughs) um all of my friends who've come out I don't know anyone who's had that experience I'm sure now that's anecdotal of course like I'm sure that um plenty of people have had positive experiences but I'll tell you what like the 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 quote unquote like stereotype is that it's not a pleasant experience. And in my friends' experiences, I've had friends, you know, disowned essentially and and uh just mistreated yep. and abused for it. And so again, some of this could be really personal, but I think Betney and Lilis are really the exceptions here. They're they're the exceptional aspects of this, not only their relationship, but also just their solo performances. I really related pretty deeply, not on a personal level related, but just maybe empathized, I guess, for for Bettany. And um, I actually kind of like the way the whole story unfolds, particularly in the first act, where I honestly didn't know what they were getting at. I didn't know, you know, like, something's off about Uncle Frank in comparison to the rest of the family. What is off? And then by the yeah. time you really get the answer, I'm like, oh, okay, this is the movie that we're, that we're going into now. Okay. Um, but I also no matter how cartoonish she is, sometimes I love Wally. I love the partner. Yeah. I think he's so great. I just like was so heartwarmed by him again, not something that typically happens to me, characters like that, but I just <laughs> really love Wally. Uh, so, um, I mean, basically in some, the, the film feels important to me in some way. And it seems like uh, an overlooked or underrepresented gem in my view. And, um, yeah. you know, no, it's not, you know, a movie you know to help you uplift from the downer of 2020 right? Um, there's a lot of heaviness here as well uh, but uh, I, I don't know I I despite maybe the wish fulfillment ending, it just really connected with me. Um, this is out on VOD. you can find it, you can rent it. Uh, Matthew, I'll start with you, man. like like how, how do you feel because your face right now is saying I'm the dissenter here. You know, no, it's, what's it's another
2: title I haven't seen, <sighs> <laughs> and, and it's like and it's yeah. So I haven't I have a lot of work between now and next week. Um, I I'm I, I'm curious if this got overshadowed by Hillbilly Elegy because they kind of came out at the same time yeah. and similar subject well, well southern southern melodrama kind of yeah.
0: But the difference though is one's good and one's. Bad. I <laughs> <Yeah,
2: right. laughs> um, no. and, and while while I have the platform, and Joe will know this, we're yeah. we're still we're still booking, we're still hoping that Paul Bettany will star in the biopic, the Christopher Lloyd story. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's, that's great. Wow, my God, yes. Uh, <laughs> Joe, what do you come think? Paul, do it. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
1: Okay. Yeah. Yeah
2: just gotta um, be really good with cars that's all you know is right <laughs> For those sort of, um paul uh paul bettany is the is the uh, target of a lot of fun criticism from chris when it comes to blonde haired men and sometimes they're or albino or light-skinned or white-haired <laughs> and they're perceived yeah. as assassins and killers and bad guys and he yeah. he wants to change that and i think i think uh I think Paul playing our our dear dear friend and colleague would uh, would change that.
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I do agree. Yeah, yeah, that that's Christopher Lloyd, my my partner at the film app. So yes, <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, that's that's spot on casting. The you know tradition aside,
2: <laughs> but, so uh, I, pass it, I pass it. to Joe.
3: <laughs> yeah, so yeah, so Uncle Frank is my number two of the year. Whoa! So, yeah, so how did I, I not I know this?
0: Movie. Holy yeah, crap! No, I,
3: I absolutely love this movie and I, I have, you know, I, I will make no apologies, you know, for some of those, uh, those things that maybe you mentioned. Um, I, I just love this whole movie. Uh, The, yeah, it's, it's, Steven Root plays hard against type in this movie. You know, most of the time he is, he's a, you know, he's known as being more of a comic actor and he's, off, often bumbling and lovingly, you know, in a, in a loving kind of way or a lovable kind of way, um, you know, playing characters like Milton and you know he was the you know the the guy in dodgeball the you know the goofy guy in dodgeball and he is absolutely not that here he's a despicable human being you know and you know you mentioned the the wish fulfillment ending and I I kind of uh, the the way I am able to to look past that is I will look at it as the the sheer humiliation that the character has, has, su- has suffered, that one character has suffered. Um, let, let's just go, let's just go like that to be as sure. vague as we can. Um, elicits a reaction from, you know, it, it, a reaction from the, the family. Oh yeah. And um, so let, let's just kind of leave it at that without spoiling too much. Um, I loved Wally. Yeah. He was, he was at times flamboyant, and you know, overly flamboyant to a, you know, a, a silly degree, but, I kind of think the film needed that, um, lest it be just completely, you know, dour. He was so
0: good when he was serious too. Like, it's not just when he's like, like really kind of flamboyant and ridiculous. Like he's also really good when he's like in those moments where like he and Bettany are having like serious moments. Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that. Continue. Yeah.
3: Yeah. And and there's a, and there are moments too, there, there's a little, a, a small, small subplot with, involving his mother where he's constantly calling her and, you know, he, you, you kind of get the sense. So he's he's of, um, uh, Middle Eastern descent and his family is, is Muslim. And, and so they also don't approve of, of that, you know, of, of his gayness. So he, he's kind of isolated himself from them, but continues to call his mother and, you know, she, she's worried, you know, she worries about him. And, you know, so there's, there's this, Kind of nice, sweet little um but I, I I thought this was Sophia Lillis's movie, you know, overall. Oh, yeah. Uh you know, yeah. I, I just thought she you know, this is this is about Uncle Frank through her eyes. And, you know, of course she sees him early in the film as he's he's kind of the black sheep of the family, but nobody really knows why, or nobody talks about why. But she she knows that she loves him and that he's the coolest thing and that that her, you know, nothing happening family has going for it. Yeah. And and then of course she sees, you know, eventually she learns the secrets and um he he corrupts her just a little bit, you know, as she's in college and um I I just I loved the the, you know, I don't know the the nuance that she brought to it. Um and and then her chemistry with Paul Bettany was terrific as well. So um and Steve Zahn, my god was as good as anything I've seen him in since maybe like Out of Sight. You know, he's um you know years and years ago he was he was the comic foil in that film but but he was also really good in it and he's terrific in this. Um, I love Judy Greer. Um Oh, she's
0: great. And, and I yeah. want to say something about Judy Greer real quick without ruining anything and uh, you know this is just another thing Matthew needs to get caught up on, all right? Yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> No, but it's like none of these people in his family like a lot of them yeah. accept him and they love him, but uh-huh. they're also not necessarily like the most woke, like cool people. Like right. all of her con like all of her comments are cringy, but she's yes. like she means them with like the best intention. You know what I yes. mean? Uh-huh. Um, but uh yeah, she's really great. And just a quick thing with Steve Zahn. Um, I'll just say a moment at the end where he says two words. Do you know what I'm talking uh-huh. about? Right that the that yeah. is where it wrecked me. Yeah, <laughs> Like same it's here. the yeah. Steve Zahn moment and it's like uh, the most cliche wreck me moment too, but it just yeah. got me, man. But continue. Sorry.
3: Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, th- this movie is, is it, it's on the nose in a lot of ways. Um, it's not, you know, it it ended and I, and I was like, man, I love that movie so much. And, but at the same time, it is not, In in terms of you know my cool gay uncle movies, it's not something.
2: (laughs) Not not, the first
3: one you've seen like that. You know the you know the the entire you know the narrative is not anything new. It's just done in a and it's not you know it's not particularly sensitive even if you want to use that word. In some ways, um, you know the the some of the characters you know use the word cartoonish. And, you know, there is some of that, but it's, in a sense, it's kind of a, it's a decent, it's a good unity kind of movie at the end at the end of the day um, in terms of, you know, Hey, we can do something, you know, we can accept some things that in the past maybe weren't, you know, weren't looked upon favorably yeah. that, you know, and for completely ridiculous reasons, it, it doesn't have to be, you know when when it comes to middle America, Southern America, um you know, families have to live with families. in that world, it doesn't have to be as militant as you know as we all are at times, you know, yeah. as as we fall in, in in topics like this. so um there there's a little there is a little bit of um, of that later on. there it's it's got just a touch of that. i can, I can understand your intolerance to some you know to I can I can't understand your intolerance but I can understand why it's hard for you to move past it perhaps something like that yeah so it's uh,
0: important also remember that this is in 1973 so even though like you know LGBTQ like rights and all of these things are still things that are being battled this film goes all mm -hmm. the way back to the 70s and is dealing with it where it was like I mean there's a there's yeah there's just a lot of nuance to that era as well. Even when they try to get like a a hotel room and it's like Wally and Frank and the lady's like, what's your relationship you two, you know, like it's like a little on the nose there, but at the same time, it's like, no, that's from what I know, at least not being alive in 73, but it's like, I, from what I hear, it was that bad. And the thing is, shut up, Matthew. Anyways, (laughs) but the thing is, I I was there, but yeah, I know, but but with Wally, like also you know he's from Saudi Arabia and i don't uh, know what the rules are now maybe it's the same but you'd be executed if you were gay in 1973 yeah. and again i don't keep up on on like saudi you know laws but um it's just crazy i don't know and 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 it's funny cuz like frank and wally both use the same woman as like their quote unquote beard right like the, like like the the person they they take pictures with and send pictures home and all this, it's like this this kind of person that they act like they're with, but in reality, uh, they love one another. I I think this yeah. is really great. I really do strongly encourage people to go in with an open mind, yeah. and just yeah. you know, it, it, it's not some movie that's going to make some huge statement um, or anything. But it's and like you said, it's Joe. It's it's nothing so much unique as it is just done really well, and yeah. um, it's I found it to be really powerful. And and I don't know if it sounded this way, but. I by no means uh, feel any need to justify or, or, or feel ashamed of liking this. Right. I really, I really love this movie and it is my number <laughs> six. So um, that's, uh, yeah, that's where uh, we're going to leave off on this episode. We're going to do our one through five for next week. Uh, if I didn't say it already, you can find Uncle Frank on uh, VOD. Uh, just search yeah. for Amazon it. Amazon Prime. Yeah. Amazon Prime. It's, yep. It's readily available free on Amazon Prime if oh, you have a subscription. Yeah. It is
3: interesting uh, that's how i watched
0: it yeah the
3: first first night it was available i stumbled i was like i'm gonna watch it i watched it
0: that way too and i guess i didn't pay enough attention so there you go yeah (laughs) um amazon prime if you have a prime account uh that should be free there i'm really excited to get to our top five but uh for 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 this episode we are going to call it quits now i hope you guys enjoyed it matthew thank you so much for Thank not you. seeing any of our picks. And I'm uh, just kidding. <laughs> Shut up. I got I'm
3: something just, to say about that
0: next time. <laughs> I'm just kidding, man. No, you, it was great. And, and uh, Joe, as always, thanks, buddy.
3: Yeah, absolutely.
0: All right, that was our six through 10 on our top 10 favorite films of 2020. We hope you enjoyed that. Next week is our top one through five. Equally long episode, I guarantee. We just can't shut up about movies. Um, but, you know, we, we did post on uh, social media. We asked people what their favorite films were. And just as a kind of a, uh, to, you know, give you some more movies, you know, if, uh, you know, I'll read a few of them. Why not? So Nick Maxon picked Tenet. All right, I can't go with you there, but you know what? Some people might like it more than me. Go check it out. Nick did. You should too. Check it out. Get your own opinion. Uh, you know, Brent Luthold said Soul. That was one that he liked. Sam Watermeyer uh, said that uh, the movie made him cry so fucking hard um, on a weekday morning. That was his exact response. Uh, speaking of Soul, uh, you know. Uh, I think, uh, let's see, One Night in Miami was another one. Several people voting for soul here, actually. Uh, You know, we had Promising Young Woman. We also had on Instagram, we had our friend Jordan Heath. He mentioned uh, that uh, First Cow was incredible. Um, And that was one of his favorites, but he was also really into A White, White Day. If you haven't seen that, I believe that's one of the foreign features I did not get to. Um, But you know, I, I just love spreading titles around. I want people to like know what movies came out, and I'm glad that you know a lot of the ones that were chosen, though they may not end up on our lists, I want them to be heard because I want people to know what is out there right now. And 2020 was surprisingly a good year, as we kind of mentioned a couple of times especially for things like documentaries but man there were a lot of kind of lower level films that I'm afraid would have been overshadowed you know had had uh, all the movies that were supposed to come out this year come out and and these movies regardless of whether those other films came out or not these movies would have still been just as good and I'm just so glad that so many people have had a chance to see so many movies Uh, again for as much as 2020 sucked for so many people uh you know what a good film year so definitely don't overlook 2020 go check it out we're going to give you our top five next week and then again the following week um we will joe and i are going to be talking about you know a bunch of other movies from 2020 just kind of name dropping and talking about briefly about our experiences just so people know these movies exist i mean You know, when movies aren't in theaters and when trailers aren't played before every YouTube video and stuff, it's very hard for people that aren't searching actively to know what is out there. And so our goal for the 2020 Rap party basically is Joe and I are going to basically talk about, uh, you know, uh, unexpected gems and unexpected disappointments, movies we thought were going to be really good, but honestly weren't. Uh, or, you know, we might talk about, uh, like, uh, hidden gems, or we might talk about movies we didn't quite get to, but just so you know, these exist, we were excited to see them. We just couldn't, um, you know, and, uh, honorable mentions the whole deal. So, you know, you have a few weeks here of wrapping up 2020 next week's our top five, but Hey, we love you. Good night. Good luck and take it easy.